Hello and welcome to episode 6 of NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. I am, once again, Rod Barnett. And I am still Troy Gwynn. <laughs> there hasn't been a change. No, there's not. No. We are still the same We're two guys. We're contemplating it, but no change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, six episodes in, it's still us. Yeah. Uh, this, as I said, is the sixth episode. We're glad you have joined us. And uh, for this episode, we've delved back into films written by Paul Nashie. And indeed, it's a bit of a monster mash. Mm-hmm. Never ever doubt that the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman influence mm-hmm. is very far from from Paul Nashie and his films, especially the ones that he really feels like... Uh, this, this, is, <laughs> this would be like his second or third monster mash depending on how you want to count them right right uh i think this you first had the frankenstein's bloody terror which i guess i guess that just because it had vampires and werewolves in it but if i guess we're really thinking about in in terms of right up there in the title i think we talked about this before is this his first uh actual uh where you get both of the creatures names like the werewolf in the title i believe so here's here's the thing though i mean you've got the the, you've got him with the vampires in his in this first Mm -hmm. scripted film Mm -hmm. and then you uh before this film you had uh the the film Known by so many different oh, titles. Assignment Terror. Yeah, well, no, no, not, not Assignment Terror. Uh, I was thinking of, well, that's a big monster mash, too, though. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was thinking of the werewolf versus uh, the vampire, the vampire women, women oh, right, or right. AKA werewolf, werewolf shadow. shadow. Yeah, okay. Sure. And that's definitely a monster mash mm-hmm. there. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got your werewolves and you got your vampires, yep. female vampires. This just is another one of those. Another one of those where you know you can see the the adolescent <laughs> wanting to pit the two monsters against yeah. one another yeah. and let them battle it out. Yeah. And of course, in this instance, the two monsters are the same person. They're yes, the same. Right. Creature, but they we'll, represent we'll, sort we'll of the same that. thing, right? That was an interesting aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 absolutely fascinating. You can see exactly as soon as you see the title of the film, you know exactly what drew him to the idea. Yeah. It's one of those great things that you it, it, you wish there was a film with this title made in say 1936 uh, yeah. at Universal. That would have mm. been God only knows how great that could have been. But this is one of those films, and thank God for it. And we should say the title. I don't think we've done that yet. Oh, have we not? <laughs> Holy crap. So. <laughs> well, if you've downloaded this, surely the file has the name of the film yes. on it. Nevertheless, this is Dr. Dr. Jekyll, Jekyll and, and the Werewolf. The werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we blow that any worse? Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, or Dr. Jekyll and the Wolf Man, depending on how, however, however you want to, to look at it. There's, there, there are, once again, let's check alternate titles, which is always, uh, always mm-hmm. a fun thing. Right. Okay, so it's... Doctor Jekyll and El Hombre Loco, mm-hmm. or as we as we as we always know, there are always multiple titles. Uh, but uh, for this one, they all basically just fracture off of that. It's just it is either Wolfman or Werewolf. <laughs> did you just say, did you just say El, El Hombre Loco or <laughs> that's what is that or Loco? Oh yeah, look, I did. <laughs> the crazy Hombre Werewolf. Lo- the crazy, no, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be the crazy man. Yeah, the crazy man. Doctor Jekyll the crazy and the man. crazy man. Doctor Jekyll and the crazy man. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll. That would be Mr. Hyde, yeah. Well, in this film, it would be Dr. Dr. Jekyll and the Crazy Woman and yes, we'll the werewolf. But, yeah. Oh, Talk about geez. a chick going off the rails. We will see. <laughs> okay, nevertheless, uh, if, if, if I can butcher the title one more time, it's Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf or Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman. And it's 1972, so mm-hmm. squarely within that incredible streak of amazing horror films being pumped out. 
by uh, Nashi and his cohorts. And I believe, speaking of cohorts, I believe this is our first time to mention a director who I'm sure we'll mention many more times over the course of, of, uh, of, of doing our Nashi cast. Correct. Uh, this is not the first film that Nashi no. made with this director. And, of course, we're talking about Leon Kolmensky. Kolmensky. Klamovsky. Man, I can't even pronounce his name this evening. <laughs> Klamovsky. He made a lot of really, really interesting films and a number of horror films. Although, Nashi uh, does feel that not even this director really had a feel for horror until Nashi kind of put his influence into his filmmaking toolbox, essentially. The first film they did together is The Werewolf vs. the Vampire Women, a.k.a. Werewolf Shadow, which is one of my all-time favorite horror films. It's an amazing movie. And we will eventually get to that one as well. But this is the second film that uh, the two of them did together. An excellent film. Uh, Klamowski was an amazing director. He made some really neat films. I love Dracula Saga, Vampire's Night Orgy. Uh, He did Vengeance of the Zombies, Devil's Mm. Possessed did Dragonfly for each corpse, which unfortunately Right, stank. we did see that one and yeah, yeah. that was <laughs> they were all yeah. a little off their game on that one. Yeah, that one didn't work. But to get to get back to it, I mean he also did uh, The People Who Own the Dark uh, with yeah. uh, with Nashi. A, a really great film and one that we will end up doing mm-hmm. here on the Nashi cast eventually. Oh also in mm-hmm. nineteen seventy four he did a little movie called I Hate My Body. Uh, which is completely nuts. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> if you ever get a chance people to see I Hate My Body do it. I mean, it's not the easiest film to find, but uh, it's de- it's a, a man and a woman's body thing. Oh, wow. It's well worth your time. Have a beer and enjoy. <sighs> that, I, Sounds like a must, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to loan you my copy of it. you got to see this, see this, see this film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With this film, like I said, 1972, we have uh, another script by Nashi and a uh, heck of a story. He's mm-hmm. definitely showing his monster loving roots here. Mm-hmm. Starts off with uh, it starts off in London. We yeah. are once again. Yeah, we get one um, of those London montages that we get in these uh, films to make sure we know. You know, no, this was not filmed in, in Spain or anywhere else. We want you to know we you're swear. in London. We swear. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll say that the the montage at the beginning of this was not was not too painful. Although, no, it wasn't. Uh, and, and, it, and it is really nice, definitely establishing. Okay, we're we're in London. Although it does switch from all these scenes of kind of like you know right in the Soho and the the, the swinging London area to suddenly we're it's actually at some sort of looks like a country house sort of thing that uh, where this yeah, is taking place. Yeah, but the film starts uh, with a, a sequence at a dinner party in a, in a wealthy home. We're being shown uh, there are a number of people at the dinner party. We're being shown several uh, hunting trophies upon the wall. Mm-hmm. The the standard you know head of the beast that I right. slayed in a far distant land routine. Right, and uh, one of them is a wolf. That has been uh, depicted in its in its taxidermy joy of uh, being rather snarling and vicious looking. A great looking wolf's head, by the way. Yeah, it really, really is amazing. Really great. Uh, one of the guests uh, remark remarks that uh, he has a is a rather vicious looking creature, and uh, one of the other guests, who's played by Jack Taylor, Jack Taylor, Jack Taylor says, uh, "Well, hey, you know, maybe he was a werewolf." You know, with kind of a twinkle in his eye, he's obviously just making a little bit of a joke, a little subtle joke to to, to kind of get conversation moving in a, in a different direction. Uh, hey, maybe it was a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And um, the lore, the werewolf lore, is then presented by one of the other people at the party. Right. Complete with a uh, uh, werewolf has to be killed by a woman 
who loves the creature and it has to be done with silver in some form or another. So in the very first scene, we get all the werewolf lore kind of just laid out there in front mm-hmm. of you mm-hmm. in a fairly entertaining way. Yeah, sure, yeah. The host, who is also the, the big game hunter who killed the wolf, his name's Imre, I believe, is his, uh, how do you say his uh, yes. name? Imre Kostas. That's right, Kostas. A very Hungarian name all the way around. The guest, played by Jack Taylor... Uh, turns out to be now here's the interesting thing now we watched both the english language dub of this film which is the uh the the english version we also watched the spanish language cut with subtitles in the english dub they don't call him by his last name they don't call jack taylor's character by his last name in that opening scene Uh, they just call him henry Uh, they just refer to him as henry i didn't notice that yeah and then uh, but in the spanish version his name, the second time it's mentioned, is definitely translated, and his name is Henry Jekyll. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was very interesting in that you don't know until he's leaving the dinner party because he's gotten a little angry because he misinterpreted one of the guest's comments as being some kind of slight against his family background and his mm-hmm. grandfather's uh, kind of unlawful experiments. Yeah. So from this, we, I guess, are to infer that it was... His grandfather was the Dr. Jekyll who who actually transformed A song and into, story. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, of world renown. <laughs> yeah, of world renown. I like that. Before it's over with, you know that this guy is the modern-day descendant of the original mm-hmm. Jekyll. His name is Henry Jekyll. He is a doctor as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. does biological research there in London, and is obviously a little touchy about his family background. Right. We're also introduced in this opening scene to the host's wife, to Emory's wife, Justine. Uh, who's Justine, played by Shirley Corrigan. She's come over to see what they're all talking about, and so she gets in on the conversation. She asks her husband directly, could it have been a werewolf? And he says, no, I shot it with regular bullets, no silver bullets. <laughs> no, no silver bullets needed. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this because this opening sequence, whether in, whether in English or in Spanish, the dialogue is nice. It flows very yeah. well. The yeah. actors are obviously mm-hmm. having a good time. It looks like kind of a neat ensemble of actors having a good time with some, with some, some interesting little dialogue. It's a great opening mm-hmm. scene. And I have to admit that uh, Shirley Corrigan, I did not know right, I at all. I had not, not, not seen her from other things. The strange thing is, I, lo- I looked her up. She's in a couple of films that I have seen. She apparently has a small uncredited role in Four Flies on Grey Velvet, the very hard, generally hard-to-come-by Dario Argento yes, film right. from uh, 71. Right. Uh, she was in a film the same year, 1972, uh, called The Hassled Hooker, which... <laughs> that, sounds that sounds interesting. I think... I, I, I could watch that. Yeah. Uh, she was also in a couple of uh, very interesting Italian crime films, Ma- Massacre in Rome. Uh, she was in the uh, excellent Umberto Lindsay film, Syndicate Sadists, mm. also known as Rambo's Revenge, um, <laughs> from 1975. Uh, really, really, really good film with uh, Tomas uh, Milan. Good, good movie. Uh, then she was in Kidnap in Rome, which appears to be some kind of Hong Kong crossed with Italian wow. produced film, which would at least be interesting to say and then it looks like she her last role was in 1979 and she just decided to retire for whatever reason hmm. um happens with a lot uh i, I, I would say I'm, I'm interested in another film she did called the godfather squad from oh, 1974 wow. which also looks to be a kind of hong kong italian oh, yes, co-production but she's a very attractive woman she's a blonde in this film mm-hmm. i don't know if she was really a blonde or if it was a right. wig or a dye job mm-hmm. But uh, she's quite good in this. Uh, she's not fantastic, uh, but I will say this: the fact that in 1973 she starred in one of these schoolgirl report films. Wow, makes me um, very curious. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, over here in the states it was called Campus Pussycats, but it was uh, Schoolgirl Report Number Six: What Parents Would Gladly Hush Up. <laughs>
It would be worth it would be worth seeing. Well, she basically plays uh, Nashi female template number one. We'll get into that <laughs> later in this, but that's what you could sort of call her character. Uh, yes, yes. We'll be introduced I, I, it to female template number two in a little while. Yes, I'll be bringing up my theory on uh, the two types of females in Nashi scripts mm-hmm. once again. So hang on, people. It's going to be a fun ride. So uh, Justine, played by Shirley Corrigan, is Emre's younger wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's Quite obviously a at least mm-hmm. 15 to 20 mm-hmm. years younger than her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of a trophy wife thing going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would say that's what it appears to be. Okay, so Henry Jekyll has kind of stalked off because of the implied, you know, by the rudeness he perceived from the other guest. And he walks away and he, and, and the host and his wife, they, all the rest of the people sort of realize, hey, we've, you know, offended this guy. So they, they're going after him to kind of make amends. But we do this weird cut, and I don't know if, if you noticed that when it cuts to Henry Jekyll and there's a servant helping him on with his coat, but it's the weirdest framing of the scene because the way it is framed, and I, I just wonder how intentional it was, is the, your first shot you see is Jekyll putting on his coat and these arms coming around him of the servant, but you don't see the servant at all, and for just a brief couple of frames, it literally looks like Jekyll has four arms, or it looks like there's something. <laughs> really? And, and I, I, okay. I watched this a couple of times, and I'm thinking, either this is really strange bit of, of editing or framing, or I wonder if it's supposed to be a sort of a subliminal, because obviously anybody versed in horror, you know, if they know that this is Henry Jekyll, you're automatically thinking of him as two people. And I wondered if it's just sort of a little <laughs> bit of a visual trick. I don't know, man. I didn't notice that. A little that. bit of a visual trick to just get you thinking about, because it almost yeah, looks like yeah. there's another person coming out of him. And it's just a real weird way to frame the scene, the, the way he did it, you know, that you would just see these two arms coming around him with no lead into it. He's just suddenly standing there well, with I him, did. So, I, I, will, I will say yeah. I, did, I did not catch that, but I did want to say before we, before we left the scene that given the fact that when we covered uh, Vengeance of the Mummy, I went out of my way to, uh, to kind of rag on the wooden nature of a lot of <laughs> right. the performances that, that Jack Thompson gives. Taylor. I mean, I'm sorry, Jack Taylor gives, not Jack Thompson. That that, that Jack that Jack Taylor gives. I I, I went out of my way, and I mm-hmm. would just like to say that in this opening scene, he's doing some really nice little subtle things yeah. facially. I agree. I agree. That are really nice and witty. And as a matter of fact, I would say that his entire performance in this film is actually it's pretty, pretty good. damn it's good. Pretty it's actually good. one of the best performances I've ever seen from him. And having gone through the film twice in just the past week or two. Mm-hmm. I think it may be one of the best ones I've ever seen from him mm-hmm. because there were points there are points in time in uh, Vengeance of the Mummy where I thought he was pretty damn wooden where yeah. there 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 are things where wow you know a coat rack could could emote mm-hmm. better than what he's doing here but I think he does a good job throughout this I do um, too. the acting across the board in this film is quite good I thought really I agree it's very good I, I have to agree but uh, no I did not notice the, the that yeah. that that weird little bit you noticed but mm-hmm. uh, the thing is we find out that the reason for this dinner party in the first place was for all these people to kind of say bye to Emre and Justine as they're about to leave for their several weeks long honeymoon. Mm -hmm. And they are going to Emre's childhood home, which is uh, hungry. He's not been back since he was roughly six or seven years old. Uh, And it's actually a small village in the Carpathian Mountains. (laughs) Cue scary news. Hungry's vacation place. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, where where else would you go? is the name of his town, his actual home, his birthplace, I think, is the name of this, uh, if you can even call it a town. You know, it's it's, it's one of those classic ones that consists of basically a tavern and lots and lots of cold woods. (laughs) (laughs) 
and and villagers willing to pick, villagers, pick up a pitchfork exactly. and wave a torch villagers in that face. don't need a whole lot to <laughs> to, to go rampage. off yeah. but uh, what i like is that while talking about this uh, a couple of the guests even make jokes about well if you're going to the carpathian mountains mm-hmm. be you know beware of vampires <laughs> yeah. which is really about the only monsters that don't <laughs> that you don't see <laughs> don't show up in this particular storyline so immediately after the dinner party we cut to them on their honeymoon driving their mercedes through the carpathian mountains it's uh, very cold, obviously. There's uh, snow on the ground and a few snow flurries. And I have to admit, uh, these, these shots, as we first see the car driving along, really reminded me of a similar scene in Horror Rises from the Tomb. Hmm. As a matter of fact, when they stop to kind of work on their car that's giving them a little bit of trouble, they stop in front of a little bit of a stone wall there that really reminded me of the, wow. the setting and the huh. spot where they shot Horror Rises from the Tomb, and I kind of wonder if they were shooting in the same location or not. It's possible, but... Yes, it's very much... Well, I didn't directly notice the the tie to Horror Rises from the Tomb, but it definitely... I noticed that 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 common sort of setting and atmosphere that you see in a lot of Paul Nash's films, you know, when these very they, when they're out there in the woods and the, the some of these settings are just really just bleak and atmospheric and just just very cold looking. So uh, when they've stopped because of a little bit of car trouble, Justine kind of just walks across the walks across a few feet of ground there into a kind of a little ruined building and starts looking around and gets uh, frightened by the sudden appearance of the horribly deformed local man who uh, it looks like about his right the right mm-hmm. side of his face is is kind of slid down a little like bit. Almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like a, a stroke victim. Right. Sad to say. Right. And it does not look like that's a makeup job. I think this guy really had this particular deformity that Maybe. does not look like yeah. a makeup job that's a i mean it really does look like that's what the guy looked like yeah uh she scared she gets scared by this fellow who's obviously from our point of view not trying to scare her he's just he's kind of surprised right. by her showing right, up there right. as well him too. yeah he's got a little campfire going and she scares the hell out of him as much as he scares the hell out of her right they uh, get back into the car and and head off and actually finally find their way to uh the village of balavesta Am I mispronouncing that? I wonder. You may be closer than me. I just said Baliavasta, but Baliavasta. I think. Yeah. I think Baliavasta may be closer. <laughs> I think you're right. They they find they find the village and uh, settle into the uh, the inn there, the inn slash tavern, mm-hmm. and uh, end up in conversation with the innkeeper there. He explains who this fellow was. His name is mm-hmm. Bella. Yep. So the mm-hmm. deformed man who scares Justine is named Bella. A Bella. In the Carpathian Mountains. <laughs> I'll be damned. <laughs> Not that you're supposed to make any connection there or anything. but uh, There's no connection no whatsoever. whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, the innkeeper and Emray talk over a few drinks, and the innkeeper has a warning. This part of the country is filled with thieves and worse things. When the nighttime comes, the best thing to do is to shut yourself securely up in your house, making sure all your doors and windows are tightly bolted. I'd like to go to the cemetery tomorrow. Which one? There are two, you know. The old one and the new one. The people I'm looking for were buried in 1938. But, uh, <laughs> then it's the old one. The new one was built in 1945. Just after the war ended, it would be better that you didn't visit the old one. Why? I don't understand. Oh, that old cemetery is an evil place. They say that those souls doomed to hellfire get out from their graves, attacking anyone who comes near the place. 
there have been many people who have met a horrible death by going near that cemetery. It's the living, I fear, not the dead. Also, very near to the cemetery, there is the Black Castle. The owner who lives there is a monster. I beg of you, don't go near there. Do you hear me? Incredible. From what I've seen around here, they're still living in the Middle Ages. Sorry, but your arguments just don't convince me. I'm going to that cemetery tomorrow. I've come all the way from England to do just that. All right, don't say that I haven't warned you. Don't say that I haven't warned you. <laughs> you know, after all these years of watching movies, if I ever go to Transylvania, I mean, I would really be disappointed if an innkeeper didn't have a dire warning for me of some kind. <laughs> but maybe the dire, for me, the dire warning should just be, don't eat the beets. I, 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 believe me, yeah. if I see anything that looks the slightest, slightest mm. bit supernatural anywhere near anything called the Carpathian Mountains, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to need to change underwear right, right off the bat, and I'm going to run in the other direction as fast as I can. <laughs> Probably shooting whatever firearm I have yeah, in the right, opposite direction, right. hoping that go. I hit something. Please, God, let me escape. <laughs> this, uh, uh, by the way, I don't know his name, but I can tell you, uh, one of my, as an aside here, one of my other, besides Paul Nashi films, one of my other many passions are Godzilla movies and, and Japanese giant monster movies, and the guy doing the voice of the innkeeper, I can tell you right now, I've heard in many English dubbed of uh, Japanese uh, oh, really? Monster films, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I do believe that the a lot of the same people involved in doing, you know, the English dubbing, you know, yeah. did a lot of did a lot of movies, regardless of what where, where the film originated. Right, right. So that doesn't surprise me at all. I'm horrible though, trying to 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 determine, you know, which voice is this, that, or the other. Um, yeah. I, I'm terrible at it. You know, the the, the great voiceover artist uh, Paul Frees. Right. I've gotten finally after decades of movies and listening to him do everything under the sun. I'm able to recognize oh, yeah. his voice now, mm-hmm. but mainly because I, like, for instance, back in October when I went mm-hmm. to a Disney uh, to Disney World, right? You know, he does the whole voiceover for the Haunted Mansion. Oh yeah, it's yeah. still his voice. That's still, still him using that doing. Still, still yeah, the same yeah. one, and I knew it at the time, so it was like, ah, oh, yes, Paul Frey's voice. So I can recognize him, but man, I'm terrible at yeah. at going. Oh, that's the same voice from this film. Did mm-hmm. this voice and did mm-hmm. that? It played that character. And I yeah. Uh, don't beat yourself up too hard. The innkeeper informs, hey, you know, there's. There's worse than bandits around, even though Emre's, you know, that's what he's concerned about. There, you know, the the mm-hmm. cemetery you're looking for is haunted. You don't want to go there. Plus, there's this monster critter who who lives in the the black castle out near that cemetery. You don't want to go anywhere near it. It's like, okay, that's really nice, buddy. It's all good. You almost <laughs> can sense him patting the innkeeper yeah, on the head. Oh yes, that's, patronizing is, yeah. yes, you're. You're an old yeah. fart, aren't you? Yeah. You don't have a damn clue. So. I know. He's like, meanwhile, here in the 20th century, me and my chick are going to go <laughs> yeah. to the cemetery. and yeah. <laughs> so the next morning, they do drive out and find the old cemetery. And you can see the black castle off in the distance mm-hmm. on a hillside, which is kind of nice. Justine is not dressed for the weather if in this scene. If, I don't think she's ever really dressed for this cold weather in this movie. <laughs> but in this scene, she's wearing thigh-high black boots yeah. and a miniskirt. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, as hot as you look, <laughs> that is way too damn cold for you to be walking around like that. <laughs> Cover up your groin, woman. I mean, <laughs> she 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 looks like she should just be chattering your teeth, <laughs> yeah, praying to God for a heat wave, because you can see their breath. I mean, they're cold. It's freezing freaking cold out there. But she, at any rate, they, they, they find the old cemetery and they go there. And they do find M. Ray's parents' graves. Mm-hmm. And this is when he uh, relates the whole story of how he 
came to go to England and be raised by uh, other members of his family. Imre, how did they die? You've never told me. They were murdered. Someone got into the house at night and hacked into bits with an axe. I was in B Street staying with relatives, so I was saved. The murderers were never found. I was seven years old when it happened. My aunt and uncle emigrated to England, taking me with them. After uh, Imre tells his story about uh, his, his life after his parents died, and Justine then notices that castle that's kind of been looming way back there. And, yeah, and just the as she castle. says, that must be the Black Castle, Imre's uh, focused on other things, namely the fact that, uh, as you call them, the three scumbags. You know, there's, there's, three, there's basically three uh, guys... Uh, bandits? Bandits, we'll call them, uh, that are uh, breaking into Imre and Justine's car. He rushes over... Mm-hmm. Very manfully, so being a rather know, fearless guy. Yeah. yeah, obviously, very fearless guy. I, I like Emory. I'll be honest. Yeah, no. I mean, the guy's got balls. He's got a he's got a hell of a story. He's he seems to be he seems to be quite a good friend. And he just he tells his wife to stay put. Rushes over to the car to confront the three scumbags. That does not go well. No, no, and it's kind of a jolt too. Just what you said. He's an interesting character, and that kind of took me by surprise. I thought it was an interesting twist in the script because yeah. that basically Emory comes to a very bad end very quickly. And I thought he was being set up to be one of the, you know, one of the major characters in the film. You know, the first I time did I too. Saw it. He gets. Uh, I mean, you expect him to die gets, eventually because everybody dies in Paul Nash's movies. <laughs> but you thought, but I thought he was actually going to be a substantial part of the story. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I did expect him to. to he I expect him to live for a good mm-hmm. long while, but he gets stabbed and killed right mm-hmm. here by these bandits. Mm-hmm. They of course then spot Justine. Go after her, grab her, attack her, throw her to the ground, and commence to, to very obviously and are about to rape her on the ground there, on right. the very cold ground. And uh, this is when, lo and behold, Paul Nashie shows up. Mm-hmm. As Waldemar Daninsky, the, uh, as you call him, the Doctor Who of... Uh, of <laughs> the of Doctor Who of Spanish yeah. horror. He shows up and takes takes these scumbags by the scruff of the neck and starts mm-hmm. beating the hell out of them. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, of the three of them, he kills two of them he mm. grabs one and from behind i mean after mm. you know throwing a few punches and kicks mm. and this that, the other grabs one of them from behind mm. and squeezes the guy so hard across the chest that he appears to break his ribs and the guy just starts bleeding out of his mouth as if his lungs were punctured the other one he manages to knock to the ground and then crushes his head yes, with a rock. The old rock to the head yeah Ooh, yeah. The third one. You know, he didn't do the old Kirk thing of stopping at the last <laughs> minute and saying, why can't we all be just be friends? This you know, is what you like, want us no, to do. He, he crushes that skull Pit like us an egg. against each other. No, it's, 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 it's not a Shatner moment. He, he, crush, he crushes one's ribs and the other's skull, and the mm. third one, seeing that this is not going well, gets the hell out of Dodge. Mm. So um, at this point, Justine is, is passed up there on the ground, and he picks her up yeah. and carries her out of the cemetery, off, obviously mm. in the direction of the Black Castle. Justine, the next thing we see is Justine awakening in a candlelit room, obviously in the black castle. She's in a black dressing gown, which yeah. means that somebody's, uh, somebody had, somebody's had the lucky, uh, yeah, somebody's uh, got the lucky task of changing her clothes. Yeah, yeah, I can't can't say that. I mean, at, at the time I was thinking, the first time you see this film, you're like, well, Mr. Nashi. <laughs> yeah. I see. I see that Valdemar Daninsky has uh, already gotten a look at the goods. But uh, we find out you know, possibly a different tale in, in a few minutes. But she gets up in this candlelit room, gets uh, 
looks around, doesn't know where she is or what's going on, picks up the candelabra next to her bed, goes out into the hallway, and at the top of a flight of stairs, looks down into the uh, large dining room area down down in the uh, on the first floor of this of this castle, and sees the dead body of her husband laid out there on the table. Mm-hmm. Screeches and Daninsky walks into the room and looks mm-hmm. up at her. Actually, um, if I can elaborate a little more on that, yeah, I was sure. going to say it's at this point that I feel, and I could be wrong about this, and we'll, we'll know when we get around to Count Dracula's Great Love, that I really feel like the interiors here look a lot to me like the where they filmed, where Nashie filmed Count Dracula's Great Love. The scenes are just seen, the stairs, staircases she comes down. But well, I'm sure we'll get around that film eventually, and maybe yeah. we can ascertain more. But uh, I believe in this scene, uh, she doesn't she do a little bit of? I think she runs a little bit before she passes out because I think she runs into Bela again, which doesn't help. The fact oh, that she yeah. sees him a second time after he's already scared her once, and here she's got both. actually yes, yeah, she she doesn't just faint immediately. She does run uh, down to what appears to be um, like a dungeon slash yeah. the basement. I think she runs trying in, to get yeah. a, trying to get away from Daninsky, who she obviously thinks has something to do with her mm. husband's right, death. Right. Bella I think she spends. I feel I like she remember. runs into him, and if I remember right, she runs into him, and then I think then uh, she's cornered by Daninsky, and I think that's where she passes out. That's when she faints. And then right. we get this quick shot of of Daninsky and Bela obviously burying Imre. Correct. So we we're still a, we not a, really sure what their motivations shot. are, or exactly who, right. what they're it's about. A, it's yeah. a night shot. They're out there at, yeah. at night, the two of them together digging uh, digging graves for the two men he killed, the two bandits that that he killed. Then we sh- we are shown a little bandit conference in the inn mm-hmm. that involves the bandit who got away, yeah, which is Otvos. He was, I guess, the leader of Everallamans. Of Otvos is his name, and um, he's trying to get people all worked up. He's he's hacked off because apparently the two guys that got offed by by Daninsky are his brothers, brothers, mm-hmm. and he is not really thrilled about it. Yeah, I mean, all they were trying to do is just steal the guy's car. I mean, God, you know, what are you <laughs> so mean, mad? What are you, you know? Well, we're gonna steal his car and, and then <laughs> stab him. I mean, they made a they made they 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 made a trying to make a living. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to make an honest living by killing and, and raping. I mean, come on. <laughs> this is where the information gets put across about um, that there is an old woman who lives in the Black Castle as well, and that her name is Uzvika Bathory. And this is the last time you'll actually hear that mention of her last name. Mm-hmm. She's only called. Uh, Use Vika the rest of the time in the film, but it's just another, just another one of those little another things little nod that, to th- something else that Paul Nashi loves. He's in love, loves the story of Countess uh, yeah. uh, Bathory or, or Batory, however it was pronounced, and uh, as because we've seen, I mean, yeah. how many films have we already seen that that mentioned you know virgin's blood and that sort of thing, and so the whole story of Elizabeth uh, Batory is uh, is a fascination of Paul Nashi. So here's his chance to get a little. Uh, you know, in addition to the nod to Universal with the name Bela, you know, he's also got a little nod to another one of his his interests. Exactly, and what I love here is that when they talk about her, they they, they say that she's a witch, mm-hmm. and then there's the great quote: "She herself suckled the monster that lives in the castle." Mm-hmm. You gotta yeah, love that is great. You gotta that love is, that lines is, like that's, that. I mean, that's <laughs> that's just great stuff. The the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the blonde bandit, the one who got away, the one who's all hacked off about yeah. his uh, brothers being killed, brothers yeah, being right. killed by Daninsky. Uh, thinks that he can kill both the witch and the monster, even mm-hmm. though he's and, and, not seen either one. And of rob them. the castle while he's at it, because you know he's he's he's, he's you know he's, he's he's not he's also a little bit lured by the fact that boy, I bet there's some really good stuff in that castle. That I can rob. <laughs> there'd be a, there'd be a lot of wealthy pieces mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We come back to the castle with uh, Yuzvika, the 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 old woman, nursing Justine back to health. <clears throat> Pardon me, nursing her back to health. 
not nursing her the way that she nursed uh, Nashi not, as a baby. Yes, we should just the, draw yes. that distinction. But uh, yes, playing playing doctor. Playing, there you go. There well, you no, go. playing doctor would be the wrong way. To <laughs> well, it. No, it's what are we trying to say here? Um, She's watching over, you know. watching over her, and hoping that she does not croak. How's that? <laughs> that? That takes all possible sexual significance out of any statement that I could possibly make. I hope. All right. Anyway. Mainly she's trying to, you know, just to reassure Waldemar, who's obviously already, you know, you can, he's got those sad Waldemar <laughs> eyes going for her now, so he's obviously already stricken by, you know, he's already smitten by Justine here. So she's, Hard not to be smitten by Miss Corbin. That's true. That's she's, true. she's a very pretty lady. We see the bandits planning to attack the castle, and, you know, revenge for my brothers. Mm-hmm. We'll do it tonight, because there's a full moon. <laughs> yeah. One of, the, this... one of the guys he's roping into this does seem to have... <laughs> thought that mm-hmm. well, wait a minute can we wait until it's not a full moon because i don't know about you but the whole full moon thing kind of creeps me out yeah well, we've not had mention of werewolfery or lycanthropy or anything like mm-hmm. that now so this is just your basic backwoods carpathian mountain dude going you know crap under a full moon is probably a bad idea yeah. and i think he's right yeah it's 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 you know it's just sort of one of the things that you're supposed to know from birth in that in that area there i would think you would know you'd know that from birth period regardless yeah. but yeah they decide okay we're going to do it tonight Around midnight, when I guess the the full moon would be its highest, right over the Carpathian Mountains. <laughs> right. The bandits in the in the cemetery, obviously on their way to the black cat the the black castle. Right. And uh, since it's a full moon night, guess what? <laughs> he should show up. But <laughs> Daninsky in full werewolfery. El hombre lobo. He not loco. Not loco. Shows up. <laughs> Shows up and attacks. Now, mm-hmm. there are three of them there, and he mm-hmm. whacks two again. And guess who gets away? Guess who gets away? <laughs> the blonde bandit Bozo. <laughs> Odvos has got this hauling ass thing down to his side. <laughs> he, he's <laughs> lurking around. And, I mean, Valdemar jumps out, and he rips the throat out of one of them. Mm. And there's that great gory scene where the, the, the other bandit comes up behind him as he's ripping away at the throat of the one guy on the ground and stabs Daninsky in the yeah, back. Yeah. And Daninsky just turns around and has got this big <laughs> chunk of meaty, bloody gore hanging know, out of his big teeth. Old like, yeah. <laughs> it's like a foot-long chunk of neck meat. Yeah. <laughs> and he turns around and then lays into dumbass with the knife. And st- I mean, he, here's the weird part. Here's the weird part. He actually uses the guy's knife. He just turns it and stabs oh, it, it into it. He yeah, doesn't right rip back. his throat no, out. He, he stabs just, him to death yeah. with the knife. Mm-hmm. By this time, the, the blonde bandit Bimbo is ripping <laughs> the hell off. Yeah, you're right. He's got that, I gotta get the hell out of here thing down. <laughs> Um, by the way, uh, just a really um, good makeup, a good werewolf makeup, yes, and, yes, and yes. I especially I, I got teeth. Say, I was gonna say, oh, man, the yet? teeth, the teeth are awesome. It's uh, there's something that you rarely see done is they actually age the teeth, and yeah, and, and they're actually you they're know aged in right, exactly. They're yeah. they're aged and yellowed, and really look uh, look like they've been lots of neck meat. <laughs> yeah, they, look, they, they look really. There's used. been a lo- there's been a lot of gnawing on uh, this neck meat. Yeah, yes, this yeah, looks yeah, like a used. They look like used teeth, you know, and that's something you don't see a whole lot of. So I really was impressed by the makeup in this movie, and and not just on the werewolf, but all through the movie is very yeah, good, yeah, very it's, good. it's it's quite good. So the next scene is uh, of our of our head head loser bandit back in the inn. Talking, you know, ranting and raving about this this particular attack, and that it was definitely a monster. He now he's like, I've seen the monster. Now this is definitely a monster. I've got to destroy the monster. Yeah, and apparently he thinks the third time is going to be the charm because now he's okay. Now he's all for going up again. I know, I know. I like. I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'd be trying to find a way. Okay, I got to get my passport together. Yeah, and and uh, I hear France is great <laughs> yeah. this time of year. You know, I'm the I, I'd be gone. 
I'd be somewhere else. And all the time, all through these scenes, the innkeeper is constantly just like, "Look, let me set you up with a cold one here, and then pour, you know, and then let's <laughs> yes. just chill a little bit, think about this." And uh, uh, he's not having it. He's just bound and determined uh, that he's he's gonna. See, I love this. I love this. He's this a is moron. True. Well, this Let's is be true. honest. This is true. Tra- I love this trans. This is true Transylvanian logic here. Is you know, he's basically you know, obviously a, a robber and a rapist. You know, but he's but he's he's going to save the town by getting rid of the local monster. You know, so he won't torment us anymore. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, this that, guy should that, run for mayor. <laughs> oh god. Oh. <laughs> I'll rob geez. you and I'll rape you, but I'll I'll keep. But the you'll never have to worry about the monsters. <laughs> I will do away with the damned monsters. <laughs> anyway, we'll cut back to the Black Castle with Justine, who's now up and about and out of bed. And uh, she's uh, sitting at a table with uh, Yuzvika, eating eating some food. Mm-hmm. And she asks her, asks her about Valdemar. The Daninsky family are of Polish origin and settled in Baljewasta several hundred years ago. I came as a servant when Valdemar was born. His mother died soon after, so I had to take care of him. Then his father was killed during the war, and the child and I were left all alone together. Uzvika, what's the matter with Valdemar? Why should he want to live here, so far away from everyone? Valdemar is he is very ill. Ill? Ill? Well, what's the matter with him? Well, of course, we know what's wrong with Valdemar. Yeah. Basically, he's got the hairy palms, and it ain't because he's hitting puberty. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, so... We have we have our uh, Polish background. We have a totally new backstory for our Polish again. Werewolf. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with the other times we've seen uh, Valdemar Daninsky. This is a right. totally new story. Whatever Valdemar is, whatever Nashi needs him to be at the moment. That's exactly, which is one of the great joys yes, of these films in the first place. Next sequence is um, Justine and Valdemar going out to Emre's grave, and she's weeping over his grave. She wants to go to the authorities. She wants to go mm-hmm. immediately to the authorities and get the local gendarmes on the on the case. Right. right. But uh, for some reason, Valdemar's wanting to delay her. He's saying, mm-hmm. you know, well, let's not go right now. Mm-hmm. To the, the the locals, there no there's no locals. It'll take a while to get to where we need to go, and we we need to wait. And right. she really doesn't want to, but she doesn't really seem to. She doesn't really have a lot of choice in the matter. Of course, we know is because well. You there's usually the cycle there's, the, yeah, yeah. We, there's usually three nights of the full moon right. at bare minimum, and right. if he gets too far away, he's he's going to be someplace where he could really mm-hmm. you know do some damage. If he's in a city, he's going to be in bad shape. Now she she of course did, uh, she does not listen. Yeah. She she's apparently very restless, and she still doesn't think no. She's still not quite sure about this uh, this this, this weird family that she's uh, has rescued her. So I think she goes out to the car on her own during the day, mm-hmm. and um, pops open the door, and lo and behold, inside the Inside the car is the dead body of Bela. Bella. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Somebody has offed him, and just as soon as she finds is, the body, right? it's the blonde bandit <laughs> pops out from the other side of the car mm-hmm. with a great big knife lying in wait for just such an attempt to use the car, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, Valdemar had followed her out there, mm-hmm. 
and he runs off again. As soon as he spots... like, another episode of Run Out Bus Run. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's such a jerk. Oh god, he really yeah. does. He's just like, oh shit, there's a guy. I'm out of here. Like, I'll attack the woman. I'll attack the poor crippled leopard guy. Oh jeez, he darts off again as soon as he sees Daninsky. Wussy. I, I love this though. Right here is. is there aren't a lot of unintentionally humorous lines in this film in case you if you're looking for them they'll they'll always be there in a monster sure, movie sure. but this is actually the funniest unintentional line in the entire movie and it has absolutely no, no there's no way you could have predicted this when this film was made in 72 but she turns to him and the line is it's the village people who want to kill you <laughs> <laughs> every time, every I know, time. The first time we heard that, we just fell on the floor. Yeah, it was just a classic. <laughs> it's like, well, damn it! It's like so, if you can just trap them at the, the YMCA, they'll leave you alone. I know you're thinking like, okay, well, first we'll take out the Indian, then we'll go up the cop. <laughs> we'll go for the cop first. He might have a gun. <laughs> but I, just, I swear, man, I can that one line. I mean, that is a classic. The village yeah. people. The village. It. It's the village people. El Hombre Lobo and the village people. And that, uh, that, that should. Have been Oh, God. That should have been one of those oh, films. Oh, I'm so glad that Mr. Nashi has passed on because if we were to ever, ever present that idea to him, he would probably try to kill us. <laughs> she tells, I know, the next is, I know that she tells uh, Valdemar that uh, she knows that he's ill. Of course, she, right. does, she doesn't know what the illness is, but she tells him that she knows about it. He basically is insisting that if they're going to stay there, that she's going to have to stay locked up in her room. Won't tell her why, right? But uh, basically, so, you know, basically we we know there's one more full full moon night, and um, so he locks her in her room, and uh, this is the night she's she's awake and she's looking out the window in the courtyard of the castle, mm-hmm. and sees him turn into yeah. the werewolf. Right. He, after turning, looks up and sees her watching him, mm-hmm. and there's this amazing it, it, there's this amazing look of kind of shame that comes over it. Yeah, he yeah, obviously really powerful, is really, really it's it's really amazing because it's it's all done through body language. It's all mm. there are no close ups of him. Mm. These are all shot from her point of view through mm. the window as you're you're mm. looking at her looking at him from up in her window mm-hmm. down into the courtyard. And he really does look as if he's so ashamed of this thing that's happened to him and he he sees her see him and he runs away. He runs away, and it really is. It's really well done because it's all in body language. It's all in the tilt of his head. Mm-hmm. This kind of downcast look he gets, mm-hmm. and he darts off into the into the bushes. Very well done. Very nice. And this is where we see that uh, the ever escaping blonde bandit scumbag mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, has now whipped the townsfolk, the the local village people, yeah. <laughs> into a frenzy. <laughs> With a torch and pitchforks ablazing. Yeah. Well, that would be pitchforks and torches ablazing. There I guess. you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's got them all fired up, and uh, right in front of them, while they're getting all fired up here, he rolls Yuzvika's use, use head out of a bag, a burlap sack, yeah. and throws it down and picks it up by the hair yeah. and says, See, I've killed the old woman. Yeah. And we that's, now got to go kill the monster. And that's a nice bit of a shock too, because we, you know, a lot of movies would have shown him doing that. In this case, we don't see it coming. We have no idea. And then suddenly he's just bam. Here's this Vika. Well, here's my question though. Did it? Was it? Do you what, consider this a missed opportunity in a film like this? In other words, would have been more effective. We've got a completely if, sympathetic character. This woman is sympathetic, mm-hmm. and this guy is such a Weasley scumbag. Yeah. 
is this a missed opportunity or is this a completely brilliant choice mm-hmm. to just have it happen this way with it suddenly just bam here's her head I've killed her my only, my only concern would be that I don't know if because obviously it's a fake head he's holding up it's not a badly done fake head but I don't no. know if it, it's such a quick scene I don't know if unless you're really paying attention if you'd realize who it is it might well he been, says though did did he did he did yeah, he say I've killed, I've the killed the old okay woman. so yeah I mean I think I like it I mean I think I like just that sudden the suddenness of it there that it's it's just you know and I, and you know and I guess on some at some level it shows that you know that that uh, I mean if nothing else it, it certainly uh, puts you even more on on I guess the well, it, it you heightens, the, heightens side, the emotion yeah. heightens the tragedy of what's going on and well, um, well then again think about it I mean if, if, the reason I ask the question mm-hmm. is that I'm not sure yeah okay because. Each time I've watched the film, I've kind of thought, "Whoa, you missed the opportunity to hmm. to show a to show this scumbag doing something really heinous." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, honestly, doing something really heinous in the film, which is killing this this defenseless old woman. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this would be the second time in the film where we've been introduced to a character, developed sympathy bad, for them, yeah. and then boom, they're yeah. dead. Right? Yeah. Emre uh, first, and now her. Right. True. And that's. That's kind of interesting as well. That's that's a very interesting choice. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is. Something else about this scene too is uh, we see that the innkeeper here is just as up in arms as the villagers. The innkeeper has been a really strange character. Has been kind of a hard to figure character at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that in a bad like not necessarily in the sense that he's badly written or it's just no. a, he's a little bit of a mercurial. You know, we're never really sure where he's where he's at or what his really you know because so many times he seems to be. In league with his bandits, uh, on the other he just times, seems to be seems, like an advisor to them. Really, yeah, I mean, and, he's just like giving it, them the lore and, and giving them know. information. But at the same time, he yeah. doesn't seem to be part of it. Yeah, you wonder if the whole time is he the, is he the one that set up Imray and Justine in the first place? Uh, no, for the bandits. I mean, he may have been, he, but we're he never. Seems given like he was trying info. to. Yeah, we never really know. Obviously, at this point here, he's he seems like he's as bloodthirsty as the rest of them. Yeah. So the character is always a, remains a never. You're never really quite sure where he's at, where he stands with uh, with uh, in this whole issue here. I agree. It's 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 an interesting little you know thing left hanging out right. there. I don't. I, right. I wouldn't call it a a dangling thread, but it is a thing yeah. that's uh, that's that's a neat thing to kind of ponder as mm-hmm. it's a, it's a character that's primarily there to give information to right. various groups of characters. Yeah. But. Yeah, where does his sympathy? Where does he lie? fit? In? Yeah, where do his sympathies yeah. lie? Where does he fit into the grand scheme of what's actually being portrayed here? What what mm-hmm. element of the story does he fit into? And maybe he just doesn't fit into any one of them. But. You know, from what I've seen, is you know, really the we've not seen the the werewolf kill anybody other than bandits, right? I mean, am I right about that? Right. He doesn't. Yes. So again, apparently, just on Otvos's word has been enough to. Or just the fact, I guess, by showing them that he was able to kill the witch, I guess their their long buried fears of this witch or the monster has got them up in arms. But he's not really the werewolf has not really done. We've not seen him actually cause harm well, to an innocent. Well, yeah. Now here and, yeah. and now here's the thing. Obviously, until Emre and Justine show up, the the werewolf has not been rampaging through the, the mm-hmm. village people. Yeah, he's just a myth. He's a legend. It's right, basically. right. He's just you know, well. There's a monster at the Black Castle. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> the Nitsky the village people. I'm sorry. You <laughs> sorry, got me I shouldn't have. <laughs> I shouldn't have phrased it that way. I didn't really mean to. I was trying to make a serious point, yeah. which is that he's not been killing people. Because if he had been killing people, yeah. then the place would be on edge. Right. There would be you know there would be a lot of concern about what's going on. But th- these killings don't start until. Emre and Justine show up, the bandits attack them, and then all hell breaks loose. And the first killings are not done by the damn werewolf. They're True. done by Daninsky. Yeah. In his right. civilian guy, in his, as as a regular guy. Right. With obvious amazing strength. But yeah. still, as a regular guy, 
fighting off a couple of scumbags who just killed somebody. Right. So this is pretty interesting in that the, the, the werewolf doesn't start a killing rampage and, hey, he's got to show up three nights every month. Yeah. Twelve is, months out of the yeah. year. I there was a, for, yeah. Ever since, quote-unquote, the war, mm-hmm. which would be World War Two at this point, which right. means it's got to have been 20-plus freaking years. Yeah. This is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing in that until this, until this story begins, the werewolf has not been a problem for this for this countryside. Yeah. These people have not been mm-hmm. devoured by the monster. Mm-hmm. He's a legend. Apparently, there's something that occasionally happens, obviously, or these stories wouldn't exist. Right. But this is not an every day or every month or even an every year kind of thing. Or there would be some kind of knowledge right. about it in general instead of it being something that the innkeeper would have to impart mm-hmm. to people younger than him. So, no. no. That's just me. <laughs> so we see the pitchfork wielding Looney Tunes uh, mm-hmm. forging silver bullets mm-hmm. to uh, go and kill the the evil werewolf, and marching to mm-hmm. the castle. Now, let's go ahead and jump to the fact that we never see the villagers <laughs> get to the castle. I think it's because they were probably attacked by a swarm of vampires before they. You know, they never. <laughs> we just never see it. You know, they never. Make it. <laughs> But you're right; they just sort of evaporate, don't they? You know, yes. we never really we never, we see never them. really see them after they after they mm-hmm. march off after forging the silver bullets. We never see them again. But I think it's Oddboss's fault because you know he runs so fast; he's usually running away. This time, I think he ran too fast ahead of them. <laughs> well, he obviously the the Oddboss, the mm-hmm. blonde bandit Looney Tune. Uh, he takes it upon himself to grab his own double-barrel shotgun mm-hmm. and go to the car to wait. Why he goes to the car to wait when he's got everybody else going to the Black Castle, I don't have a damn clue. But I will say this. I think the reason that we don't see the, the, the villagers show up at the Black Castle is that the Black Castle does not look like the Black Castle. The only time we ever see the Black Castle is at a distance. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that the Black Castle did not exist anywhere. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. And so having them yeah. march up to the thing would have been prohibitively expensive, mm-hmm. i.e. completely freaking impossible. <laughs> now, another theory is Oddfoss may have sent him to the wrong castle so that he could actually rob <laughs> the Black <laughs> He could actually steal everything out of the Black Castle after he kills <laughs> I've killed the old woman. <laughs> if I can get these Looney Tunes to maybe get the, yeah. the werewolf chasing their dumb asses, <laughs> I can get something. Yeah. I can steal everything. This is great. Everything works out well. No, oh, God. Anyway, he goes to the car. And, of course, this is where uh, Valdemar and Justine show up because they are now the, you know, that last night is over. And so he's like, okay, fine, we'll go to the authorities. We'll get the hell out of Dodge. But the blonde bastard bandit is he waiting shows for up, them shows up. with his double barrel shotgun. And turns out he's a really shitty shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to say that he can't hit the broadside of a barn <laughs> it, yeah. it is to be kind. Yeah. I mean, because Daninsky is at, at most 15 to 20 feet away from him, up against the wall of the, the like ruined wall yeah. there at the cemetery, and dumbass can't hit him. Yeah, I thought he was going to shoot him and it just wouldn't kill him because it's not silver bullets, but no, he can't even, he doesn't get that close. No, I mean, he totally like misses. whacks the wall. I mean, yeah. it's pathetic. I mean, if, if I, I honestly at that point expected Daninsky to just look at the fact <laughs> that he just emptied this double barrel shotgun into the wall and laugh and get in the car and leave. Yeah. I mean, because obviously at this point the dumbass is going to run away now. That's his, that's his MO, right? Time to leave. <laughs> Fucking loser. Anyway. He blows it, and Daninsky just attacks him and yeah. strangles him to death. Strangles him to death. It's the death we've all been waiting for. <laughs> yes, it was actually it was fairly satisfying. I have to yeah, admit to yeah. see that dumbass finally yeah. die. His body's still probably trying to escape from the coffin. You know, <laughs> He's still running away. Coffin, the coffin yeah. is still <laughs> yeah. still in motion, attempting to, to gyrate away from someplace. Oh, God. But then, of course, they get in the car. car finally starts, and they get the hell out of there. And cut to 
London. We were refreshed. Yeah, we we're refreshing. We almost breathed a sigh of relief to be back in the safety of the big city. You know, it's like <laughs> that was not a, a good. It was not an effective travelogue for Transylvania. We've just left there, so. Uh, but we will not. We will see no more of it for the film. So time we'll, to go to London. So we cut to London and we cut immediately to Justine in the office of Doctor Henry Jekyll, mm-hmm. having a little conversation with him. Let me make notice of the fact that the building where his offices are nice little building there obviously these things are shot on the the exteriors are definitely shot in london but the sign the little black sign hung up on the outside of the building to indicate where dr henry jekyll's office is is misspelled the place is uh the, the little sign says biological it's supposed to say biological research clinic mm-hmm. what it says is biological research is clinic <laughs> Research has an S on the end of it for I did no not damn catch that good reason whatsoever. It's, <laughs> and me an English major, and I totally missed that. <laughs> here's what's amazing. As I said, these exteriors were shot in London. Yeah. They are clearly shot in London. Yeah. All they would have had to do is turn to someone and go, does this sign look right to you? <laughs> well, no, there probably shouldn't be an S on the end of research. I really don't think research is, research is, is, is where you, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. No, I, I completely missed that. Justine is uh, talking to Dr. Jekyll and explaining to him the situation, the unfortunate lycanthropy problem Mm -hmm. that Valdemar Donetsky has. Believe me, Henry, everything I've told you, absolutely everything is true. Justine, I can't believe a thing like this. It's impossible. Do you remember the night before we left for our honeymoon? You made reference to the wolf Imre shot in Bavaria. I was impressed by what you had to say. But now, I realize it was a premonition. But it was all a joke, a simple joke. These creatures simply do not exist. Henry, you think I'm going insane, don't you? Not at all. But it's evident that what you've been through has affected you deeply. It could happen to anyone. Then you don't believe me, Henry. A werewolf. So unreal, so fantastic that... But how can you, precisely you, Henry Jekyll, Be so skeptical. I've come to you because you're the only person in the world that can possibly help Valdemar. But now, I don't know. I'll try to help you. But first, I must convince myself. We'll do anything you say. I'll be so grateful, Henry. There'll be a full moon very soon. At that time, I want Valdemar to come to the clinic. We'll put him under observation. But Henry, he's not sick, nor is he mad. It's something much, much worse. When he gets these crises, he becomes a killer, a destructive monster. So Dr. Jekyll needs to be convinced of the whole lycanthropy thing. He's just not buying it. And, hey, I understand there's a difference between your grandfather creating serum (laughs) to bring out the evil within the human soul. That's science, you know. Yeah, exactly. That is pure science. That's something you can't mess with. That's green shit in a syringe being injected directly into your flesh. This isn't somebody (laughs) growing hair. So... He has to be convinced, and uh, sends her off, makes the appointment with, with Valdemar to uh, show up the, the day of the next full moon, in the afternoon, smartly enough. Yes. And we are introduced to Nurse Sandra. Mm-hmm. That would be Dr. Jekyll's uh, nurse. And uh, it's very obvious that Nurse Sandra loves Henry Jekyll, but it's also clear that, uh, because he says it flat out, mm-hmm. that uh, Jekyll has always loved Justine. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, I think was made fairly plain uh, in that opening scene when uh, he sang bye after the dinner party. Yeah, you could exactly. There's a definite moment there between them. But, of course, 
Justine loves yeah. Valdemar. Yes. Oh, as we see. As we see in the next scene, yeah. where the two of them bedding down in this uh, old this estate outside uh, outside London, mm-hmm. just like that estate outside London mm-hmm. in Vengeance of the Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Anyway, they are obviously uh, jumping into bed together. So. Justine's uh, she's morning. forgotten Emre quite, yeah, quite, yeah. quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> her, her grieving period for Emre is, uh, I don't know, fairly short. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks, yeah. I guess. <laughs> At the most, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the hairy guy with the, the killer instinct comes yeah. along and, hey! Yeah, well, let's, let's be fair. It's, it's it's already the next cycle of full moon, so it's been a full month. You know, they've had a full month to, to go you you're know, right, you're roaming right. around London and, you know, I'm sure Have some adventures, whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm You're sure Voldemort's right. just the life of the party. I'm sure he's <laughs> she's a great date. And uh... <laughs> I, d- I don't think that's true. <laughs> we immediately cut to the day that he's going to the biological researches yeah. clinic, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a far too long. This is the one section of the film where I go, okay, this goes on too damn long, mm-hmm. and it's the section where we see Valdemar. Take the taxi to the clinic. Yeah. The clinic pull into the parking lot. Yeah. The yeah, a little bit of padding going on here. Yeah, it's some real. It's like yes, okay, we get it. The mm. streets of London. Mm. The the double decker red buses. Yeehaw. Mm-hmm. Okay, we get it. You were in London. That's great. <laughs> but we didn't need this like right. two full minutes of screen time. Yeah, it's a little drag. It's yeah. a little bit of drag. But uh, he gets to the building, gets into the elevator to go up to the floor where Doctor Henry Jekyll's clinic office is and he's in the he's in the elevator with uh, a nurse mm-hmm. and they get stuck the elevator mm-hmm. breaks and they're stuck between floors yeah. and they can't get out mm-hmm. and they're stuck there for hours mm-hmm. this i find highly amusing oh me too. me too oh yes it's a great <laughs> i love the idea it's, it's, it's just a great great setup here <laughs> it's absolutely screamingly hysterical because they're in there for hours, and we mm-hmm. and they cut they cut to the the, the people working on the mm-hmm. working on the the elevator to try to get the damn thing to work. And it's this guy smoking a cigarette and punching buttons, going, "I'm going as fast as I can." It's like, <laughs> what the hell are you actually doing? I mean, it doesn't appear to me. It, it, we need to see somebody with a hammer, some screwdrivers, and some shit dangling off a rope. I don't know, but it doesn't look like this guy's actually working real hard, real hard to get this elevator cranked back up. But uh, of course, they're trapped in the elevator together for Until, a little too long. Yeah. I was actually surprised with it being Valdemar Donetsky that he had not already bedded the nurse in the, in the elevator <laughs> by the time we actually see them again. But apparently, that has not happened. They're fully clothed, and yes. we're not even really sure if they've spoken to each other in all this time. Yeah, no, they're in there for at least two hours. I mean, they actually do say two hours at some point. Yeah, and I kept thinking to myself. You know, I would have started a card game or something because, good God, just standing there staring at each other for a couple of hours drive anybody nuts. <laughs> no, neither of them brought a book. They're just yeah. kind of screwed standing there. But nevertheless, of course, the moon rises. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's rays reach all the way through this. Well, this, I mean, that doesn't it, really matter. He could yeah, be anywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's, how much you, that's right. That's right. The, the, the moon causes the tides, too, buddy. And yeah. That's just the yeah. way it is. But nevertheless, uh, just as they finally get the elevator cranked up, he, he changes into the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. The uh, most sharp-dressed Wolfman we'll ever see, too. You know? Well, that's true. He's got the he's turtleneck got the nice and the turtleneck jacket. turtleneck and the jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there's, there, there's something to, to talk about probably at length in every Daninsky film that's not a period piece, mm-hmm. which is the absolute joy of the turtleneck-wearing... Well, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I do love mm-hmm. it. 
It's something that I, I think mm. can only exist mm. in a film made in the 70s. Yes, yes, yes. But the turtleneck wearing werewolf, that to me, that's iconic. It is. That's a beauteous thing, and there's thing. nothing that anybody should laugh about. Mm-hmm. Well, if they can avoid it. He comes snarling out of that elevator, having ripped the throat out of the nurse. Mm-hmm. Poor nurse. Yeah. And, of course, scares the hell out of everybody waiting outside, and then runs off into the night. Now, this I love, because I remember that uh, you've made mention of the miniskirts in a lot of these horror films from the 70s. <laughs> yes. Because he rushes out into the night and, of course, finds another woman to attack, and it's yeah. this incredibly attractive woman in this mm. in this incredibly short miniskirt. Yes. And I just kept looking at her legs going, wow, that's an incredibly... I'm, mm. I'm really... And, that's short. That's short, <laughs> short, short. And walking all by herself alone at night, as women in short, short, short miniskirts always do, I'm sure. In London. You know, in, in London. London. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, and, of course, he attacks the miniskirt-wearing... Mm. Mm-hmm. chick and kills her dead and uh here's where i noticed up until now i hadn't really noticed the score much in the movie and all in honesty the music has kind of been used haphazardly kind well, of as background noise as kind of wallpaper in a lot of ways there's not a lot of it in the film either it's it's kind of basically see i i like what little music there is because I thought it was interesting that I think the basic theme is is a nice one, and they use it in several different ways. You're right; they, there's not it's not used a lot, but it's recorded a few different times with yeah. different instruments. But it is kind of a recurring one theme that kind of goes through the movie, and and it's and it's played with different instruments. And I, that, that I thought that was kind of nice. Well, the interesting thing is the music in this sequence isn't anything like the kind of orchestral, small mm. orchestral score. Mm that's in the rest of the film and it reoccurs a few times as these murders mm. start to occur in the city and it's this very uh, discordant mm. jumble of sounds mm. that are really kind of unnerving and weird mm. that happen during this murder and directly after this murder as he leaves her body laying there in the street mm. and uh, it just kind of punctuates mm. the scene and okay. then ends as you cut to the next sequence uh, and of course the next sequence is the next day where Valdemar Jekyll yeah. And uh, Justine are having a little conference. Yeah. Now there. we have we had we did see one quick little scene oh, where Jekyll go, we we saw that where he's up. So, you know he was wondering why Daninsky never showed yeah. up, and so now yeah. now that Daninsky's basically now that the werewolves basically burst out of the elevator in full public view and killed some people. You know by now we we figured that's all that was needed to convince uh, yeah, Jekyll, Jekyll that Jekyll okay now, this is this yeah. is real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Jekyll doubt now definitely uh, acknowledges okay apparently this guy does turn into some kind of monster beast and. Mm-hmm obviously kills people we got a couple of corpses on our hand to prove it so they're having a little conference the next day out at the uh, the country estate of uh, of justine's and they're trying to put together a plan we've got to find a place we can't do it in my clinic obviously right, people right. are going to notice people are going to see yeah. this so they decide to uh, make up a room in the attic there in the uh, justine's old, house I think, yeah right. in that old family estate in the attic the the plan is to use and i love this plan this is jekyll's this, brilliant freaking yes. plan it's a daisy well, let's let's pay attention to this one, folks. Yeah, let's let him explain, because I don't think I can do it justice. Doctor, can I be cured? I don't know, Valdemar, but we'll try. My grandfather discovered a formula which succeeded in changing a human being's personality. Hyde was the sublimation of evil, pure, absolute. Now. There is a similar evil in the question of werewolves. I developed another formula while investigating the error which caused my grandfather's to be useless when used as an antidote. 
that our letter failure made the Chekhov name an infamous one. But perhaps because of that error, we'll be able to save you. Henry, how will you do it? On the evening chosen, and before we have a full moon, I'll inject Valdemar with the formula which will turn him into a Mr. Hyde. That is the evil part of his character, which will be strong and powerful. And when the moon is full, he'll fight against the mutation which the same full moon produces on him to turn him into a werewolf. This will be the moment when the risk is greatest. If I see that Hyde wins over, I'll inject the antidote, thus freeing him from both demons. We shall be successful. And you'll be free forever, Valdemar. When will you do it? Possibly if everything goes well during the next full moon. Is there anybody out there who thinks this is a damn good idea? <laughs> yes, let's reiterate. He's going to inject Valdemar with Mr. Hyde, let Mr. Hyde fight it out with the werewolf, and then destroy whoever wins, I guess, basically. Yeah, this just has bad, bad... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to admit, in the realm of monster movie bullshit, mm. this is top-notch oh, monster is. movie this BS, because stuff. what you have here is the idea that by letting him become a werewolf mm. and then injecting him with the mm. hide formula mm. we won't create a super werewolf hide <laughs> yeah what we'll create is just a hide it'll mm. somehow do away with mm. the whole mm. lycanthropy problem and then i give you the antidote that i've worked up to my grandfather's little serum here right and everything will be and everything's fine <laughs> it'll wash the evil right out of your fur <laughs> Total crap. Mm. But you gotta love it. Because in the realm of monster movies, it's freaking genius. Oh, it is. Oh, it's great. I mean, give I it, it its due. I love it. This is the kind of thing that a man mm. obsessed mm. with Frankenstein meets the wolf man yes. would think of mm -hmm. and go, you know, we gotta run with this. Mm -hmm. And I, for one, am glad he did. Me too. Me Sheer too. freaking genius. Genius, genius, genius. Well... Of course, we get our, our first scene of Sandra being, uh, well, being bitchy. Uh, yes, this is, oh, by the way, Sandra, in case you're wondering, is, is Nashi female template number two. Uh, just, we <laughs> should point correct. that out. Yeah. I forgot to mention this. She's played by an actress named Myrta Miller, who actually was in four different Paul Nashi films. At the very least, she was in Count Dracula's Great Love, also released in 1972. Uh the Ultimate Kamikaze with him in 1984. She made quite a number of films in the 70s. As a matter of fact, she had a pretty long, pretty long career and pretty. She made a number of movies. She was also in Vengeance of the Vengeance of the Zombies with with Nashi in 73. Mm, wow. She was in Eyeball. She was in a couple of uh, spaghetti westerns. A number a number of films, but uh, she kind of uh, seems to have retired around 80. 84, right after the ultimate kamikaze. As a matter of fact, one of her last roles listed uh, when she kind of retired was in the Bo Derek film Bolero. Wow. Yeah. Pretty interesting little career there. She's apparently popped back up uh, doing some uh, Italian, I'm sorry, doing some Spanish television work. Okay. In uh, 2004 and in 2006. Very interesting. So, of course, I know nothing of these series, but it's mm -hmm. definitely her still working a little bit here and there when she wants to. We have Sandra, our nurse, being a pain, pain in the ass bitch. We obviously can tell that she is, as you say, Nashi female character template number two. In other words, well, when Nashi women are good, they're good. But when they're bad, 
boy, are they <laughs> terrible. <laughs> they go Worst off thing. the rails. Yes, yes. they're <laughs> off the chart insane. <laughs> so, obviously, we're being set up for her to be the completely insane member of the of the crew mm-hmm. here. Right, because we have this uh, scene where they first strap Nashi to, to the table, uh, Daninsky, and, and watch him turn into a werewolf and take blood from him while he's strapped yeah, to the table. They have a, a yeah. EKG set up, hooked up to him. They're monitoring his, his brain waves, his, his, his pulse, his blood mm-hmm. pressure and everything. And once he turns into werewolf, while they've got him safely strapped mm-hmm. down, they take blood samples. So they got him all locked down there during this first full moon. And uh, they run their tests. And uh, as Jekyll is surprised to find, his blood apparently does change into the blood of a wolf mm-hmm. when he changes into this creature. As he starts looking at all the information they've got, he tells Daninsky, I think we can cure you. I think right. this thing will actually work. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where uh, Nurse Sandra definitely shows her true colors. Mm-hmm. Why cure him? We've got the chance to do, well, you know, crazy batshit bad scientists. <laughs> yeah, they really. rule the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can rule the world. Do you really intend to cure him? Of course. I'm going to try, and I think I'll succeed. We only have to wait until the next full moon. Are you mad? You have in your hands possibilities your grandfather never dreamed of having. If you cure him, the experiment will have ended. And with it, the possibility of obtaining a power that would be limitless. Knowledge that, that could give us absolute control of the mind. Even the souls of human beings. Yours, Henry. They trust me, and I shall help them. During all these years, I've lived only for you. I've been your mistress and your friend. I've helped you with your work because I believed in you. I admired your intelligence mm-hmm. and your ambition. I've even resorted to criminal action to obtain what you wish. To criminal action? And what have we done at the clinic? How many patients have died like Hopeless guinea pigs. Don't you remember it all? It was all necessary, and you know it. And now, it's no longer necessary. It's because of her, isn't it? You just can't forget her. First, she threw you over for that peasant of a clown, Imre. And now, for a stupid animal... Remember, Henry, the very deepest love can easily change to the very deepest hatred. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love the fact that he apologizes for slapping her down. Yeah, sorry ain't going to help you, Henry. And this, uh, yeah. And by the way, he telegraphed that slap about five minutes before it happened. (laughs) You know, it's just. But uh, yeah, this is uh, is so many interesting things in this in this scene here. Um, First of all, Myrta Miller is just you know the cliche about you beautiful when you're angry. Man, oh man, she's She's beautiful when she's freaking nuts. Oh man, Uh, I thought it was interesting that in the Spanish, in the subtitle version. She never actually says that she's been his mistress, although you know we can probably infer that that's been going on too. Where she doesn't actually say that. You know, I thought version, she does. I don't think. I think I watched it again. I thought that everything else. I think she says there pretty much fits is about identical. But I thought okay. that I did a comparison and that she only literally comes out right comes out and says it that she's been his mistress in the English dub, okay. I believe. But uh, but it's interesting what comes out in this thing. First of all, it's interesting the fact that 
you know, I think it's I think it's great that that Jekyll doesn't end up being the mad scientist. She is, you know, she's the one who's. Yeah, who's I mean, he has being, every intention of actually yeah. doing the right thing and curing the werewolf. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see that uh, part of it is a, a bit of ambition on his part to actually use this horrible family mm-hmm. curse that his grandfather bestowed upon mm-hmm. upon him. Yeah. To use it for something that he considers good, but at the same time, he really, as you can hear in that clip, he's obviously going to do this because he, he, he I promised them I'm going to do it and I'm going to yeah. do it. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Jekyll has, for the most part, seems to be maybe the most noble character in the movie, or he seems to be, but you know, because of the, yeah. the fact, the way that he, he really does, you know, even despite his love for Justine and the fact that obviously she's taken with Daninsky, he's really genuinely trying to help him. At the same time, though, through what Sandra says, we also get the hint that there is a little bit of that other side of him here too when she talks about these guinea pig patients that she's had to dispose of uh, criminally yeah. you sort of get the impression too that there's also this other side of Jekyll there's a moral ambiguity you know, laid laid out there mm-hmm. with this character mm-hmm. so that t- to be honest in a way I mean there's no way to walk away from this movie with, without thinking that everybody's a little suspect except for Daninsky who's cursed mm-hmm. right, with, right and Justine who didn't do a damn thing right I mean right. she's a victim throughout this entire thing Next, we have uh, we, we have a, a little scene where uh, Justine is in the lab with Henry, and Henry's going over the data and kind of looking things over, and she's talking to him, tells him flat out, "Look, I know that Sandra hates my freaking guts, mm-hmm. and I think you know, to be honest, I think she's a little dangerous." But he kind of pats her on the head and goes, "No, nah, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. We're going to get yeah, this done. Yeah, We're going to get this done tonight. Her loyalty is unquestionable. Yeah, he's yeah. Just a, she, she's loyal. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. I got I got everything under control." Justine, in uh, in thanking him, kisses him on the cheek, and this is when Sandra walks in. And of course, this is where you can see yeah. hatred flare into yeah. her being yeah. with a great moment of bad timing. Is what yeah. This is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So here we go for that night. Straps. Oh, oh and she also mentions uh, in this scene. She tells Jekyll. Uh, he's asked her if she's taking care of everything, and apparently, being the loyal, you know, once again, she's covered his track. She's told everybody that he's in America. That's it. right. That's he's going supposed to, to be. That's out going of the to explain his his absence from the from his clinic from his researches clinic <laughs> while he's uh, <laughs> researches clinic. Yes. So the yeah. So the cops aren't really looking for him. They think he's out of the country, right. which is good. Gives him all the time that he needs. So we cut to the next night. We've got uh, Daninsky strapped down to the table. And he injects him with the big syringe of green fluid and turns him into Hyde. Now, the look of Hyde is uh, basically just Daninsky, or Nashy, however you want to phrase it at this point, uh, with very pale skin, Mm. dark eyes, Mm. black hair, hair and a mad gleam in his eyes. He definitely looks like a total lunatic, and I love the fact that really all he can say as soon as he's turned just over and over again is, set me free, set me free. (laughs) Yeah. I want to live. <laughs> Gotta love it. I mean, he's just, oh yes, he's, he's he's just raring to go. It's great. Okay, they've got him strapped down. He's he's we've brought out the hide within him, and uh, they watch the clock. The moon rises, and lo and behold, no werewolf. Mm-hmm. He lays there, and he's still hide. He does not turn into a werewolf. So they think, okay, good. I think we've got him cured here. This mm-hmm. looks like this mm-hmm. is working, and they inject him with the antidote. Turns him back into our old buddy. Looks yeah. like he's cured. It looks like it really does work. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, Henry Henry Jekyll's completely nutty freaking fruitcake idea <laughs> worked. Seems to have completely solved the problem. Then, as we see him still strapped down and turning back into Donetsky, looking around and going, is the moon up? Is this yeah. everything all right? Sandra grabs a scalpel 
and stabs Henry in the back. Yep. Oh, God. He collapses on the floor. Sandra, in pure female mad scientist mode, re-injects Danitsky with the serum, with him going the whole time, what are you doing? What is all this? And turns Mr. Yeah, he, he turns back into Mr. Hyde, and he, uh, well, he gets turned loose. She yeah. unstraps him from the table. And, of course, what's the first thing he does? He <laughs> goes downstairs, yeah. finds Justine in her bed, and uh, attacks and rapes her. While, while Sandra watches from the door, very pleased. Yeah, she's very happy with her handiwork here. And then, after the obvious rape there on the bed, by the way, uh, this is the I think this would be the first scene you would run into where you would realize whether or not you were watching uh, the clothed or the unclothed version once again. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that for just a second. Is uh, Unfortunately, this is one of the things you run across a lot of times in, in, your, in our, our quest hunting up uh, European films, of uh, horror well, films, obscure yeah, horror films, is basically we've ended up with two cuts that sort yeah. of, if you mashed them together, you would kind of have the ideal version of this film. True, the English language version is the nude version. It looks like uh, crap, but has the nudity. Yeah, it looks like crap, but does have the nudity. And uh, the version that we, uh, the other version we saw is the now out of print Mondo Macabro uh, Region 1 PAL DVD, Mm. uh, which is the Spanish language version, which looks fantastic. Really nice. Looks great. uh, With really good subtitles. But uh, is the clothed version, as the Spanish language print would obviously be, which is disappointing, but what are you going to do? So uh, this would be the first scene where you would uh, you would definitely have some nudity if you're watching the English language cut. Mm-hmm. So after the rape scene, we then have more nudity as they take Justine. Mm-hmm. Did they take her downstairs? I almost feel like that's happening maybe in the Isn't in the it? attic again. Maybe part of the Probably. attic. It just looks well, you know just yeah. kind of ha- happens to have this torture wheel up there for whatever yeah, reason well, or they, something that they well, can they, conveniently yeah they strap, strap her, her to a couple of minutes. so they they strap her up and both uh, Sandra and Mister mm-hmm. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Uh, whip her, yes. Uh, whip her rather, rather enjoyably. They seem to be having quite a good time with it. Obviously, both of them are sadists. Mm-hmm. Then, after they're done beating her, they they she's unconscious. They lock her back into her bedroom. Sandra explains that she has plans for. Her. We're not going to kill her yet because I have plans. Yes. I, yeah, I keep thinking that uh, Sandra must have been hell on her like sorority freshman sisters. You know, <laughs> there. Can you imagine the initiation she came up? Oh came God, up with? yeah. There's, there's no telling. But what, what, what I love is that the we, we have Hyde turning on Sandra and saying, "I need pleasure. I need women. Lots of women." <laughs> so of course he, you know, gets dressed, grabs his cane. Don't know where the cane came from, but by God, he's got a cane. He's got now. the cane. That's right. Yeah. And uh, stomps out into the night. What I love is that Sandra honestly thought she could control Hyde. Yeah, I mean that yeah. that well, that, it's not. Well, I think this is the scene. I mean, it's not just that he walks away. I mean, isn't this the scene where she says, "You'll do as I say"? And I don't think it's just that he turns his back on her. But I think this. No, is, he. This is where he pushes her down in mm-hmm. uh, in into some hay and beats, beats her, her yeah. with the cane. Mm-hmm. And then he just he stomps out into the night to do what uh, Mister Hyde wants to do. I love the fact that he even has the full like half half cape look with the top hat. He's got the yeah. whole thing going. Oh, he's got the, yeah. I it mean, makes it's like, absolutely no logical sense for this clothing to be sitting around someplace. Unless it was left over from Henry's grandfather or something. Maybe it's his old, uh, oh, doc, maybe know. it's his old Mr. Hyde, uh, Mr. Hyde get up, his old garb. But it's great that he's walking around now and swinging London, you know. I kept wondering if he was going to get mistaken for Screaming Lord Such at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, well the, the thing is, uh, at the same time we're seeing Hyde uh, out in Groove in London, mm. we see that, uh, well, we see somebody stumble stumble around the place and unlock uh, unlock Justine. Justine's bedroom and it turns out that Henry isn't quite dead. Right, right. He opens Justine's door and uh, kind of 
collapses in there on the bed and tells Justine what's going on. He tells Justine that the serum definitely worked, but that unfortunately he would need he would he needs to have injected him at least four more times, three four more times to get it to be permanent. And what's right. happened right now is not permanent. Yes. And since what's happened now is that Hyde is loose, Sandra's an accomplice. What you've got to do is destroy the serum, and when he eventually right. changes back into a werewolf, you've got to take care of this situation. But what can we do to end all this? Oh, Henry. There's only one possibility. Experiment wasn't completed. Only the first phase. Three, perhaps more, are necessary. The drug will wear off. And if I doesn't apply more, it'll become weaker. In that case, when there's another full moon, the werewolf will reappear. Valdemar Will it continue suffering? No. It become free. His body will die. But his soul will find, find peace. You must... But what must I do? You must destroy the serum that sooner or later hide love the fact that he had the foresight to, to find some silver bullets and yeah. hide a gun there in the attic just yeah. in case. Yes. Yeah. Because that means he really went, okay, definitely yeah. werewolf. I'm going to buy into the whole nine yards of what yeah. this means as far yeah. as supernatural yeah. and not need to have silver, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Yeah. And I'm going to have it nearby. Yeah. Because well, at least it means on some level he was acknowledging my plan is nuts and it just might not work. <laughs> <laughs> and in case it doesn't, here's the backup. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a good way of looking at it, I yeah. suppose. I mean, that's that's as good a way of looking at it as any. But uh, I mean, while, hey, if he was smart enough to keep a you know a cape and a top hat and a cane, nearby, <laughs> he was preparing for all contingencies. There's also a chance that Hyde may kick my ass and just hit the town, and so I've got that covered as well. I've got so. everything covered, yeah. <laughs> okay, well... While the, while this the only thing is he didn't have covered was this beautiful assistant who was obviously insane that he just never quite picked up on that <laughs> fact. You know, yeah, and really. Never thought that she might actually stab him in the back with a stick. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, who who could foresee that except think? anybody watching this film? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we we see Hyde out on the town. He he definitely after 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 beating Sandra with a cane. Mm-hmm. Way to go, by the way. Yes, yes. Uh, he goes out on the town in his top hat and half cape. And with his cane, and uh, picks up a, a fine-looking woman. Don't know if she was a hooker or not. I'm assuming not. I'm yeah, assuming she's not just sure. a not you know really sure. typical yeah. London floozy out mm. on the town looking mm. for kicks. Mm. After you know, we 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 cut to them obviously post-coital. Mm. They, they they obviously just had sex. Mm-hmm. 
He's getting dressed, and she's laying the there. The fact that she had a, uh, a picture on her wall, I think. Of she had a, a picture of Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin, there. yes, thank you, Lee Marvin. No, Lee Marvin poster, you know, the, I have no the man idea. of all men overseeing all this. You know, she <laughs> know. was great inspiration for Hyde there. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking about you know Point Blank. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he uh, picks up one of her stockings and strangles the woman to death. I mean, it's mm. like I uh, had sex with you. Mm. I've kind of used you now. I'm done with you. Mm. I'll kill you. Mm. So he strangles her, and one of the creepiest things about this yes, is I that, know what you're gonna say. yeah, is that he's he he's snarling and he drools. drools. Yeah, so now she's just having a wonderful time in this role. He's just like just utterly going for it. <laughs> <laughs> you knew where I was going. Yes, he does drool. <laughs> and then we and then, and then after he leaves there, he kills her and leaves. He's strolling through mm. the London night, and uh, there's a drunk down near the river who asks him for a light, yeah. and he just. L- laughingly pushes this dumbass into the river. Yeah, this seems a little w- weak to me. Uh, it's it's amusing, but it's it's sort of like okay. Well, it's just a bit. I I like it. You rape and beat it, the women, but it's the uh, the guys you just sort of push them into the water and run away, skip well, away, I, laughing. I, well, but I, I guess maybe the guys were supposed seems, to be drowning, but it was just not quite well, as. <laughs> it seems obvious to me that well, as the scene plays out, he, he was going to knock him into. He knocks him into the river, mm-hmm. and honestly, I think he was just waiting around for the guy to try to co- you know to come back out of the river for him to just like do something else to him. But then he kind of walks away, and the police whistles. That's true. That's true. He is chased away by the bobbies. Uh, right. So he so he runs off, and when he gets back to the uh, the country estate, he discovers that Jekyll had not died mm-hmm. until he crawled into the room and let Justine loose, and now she's gone. Uh, this is when he really, really gets unhappy. Yeah, and, uh, and well, because he, also Justine's managed to hide the rest of the um, the serum. serum, right? Yeah, he gets more than a little bit pissed off and kills Sandra mm-hmm. pretty hideously. Uh, it's very—I don't know if it was obvious to you. But did, did you catch the fact that it's very obviously not Sandra? Yes. Uh, uh, what? Uh, what we, we should perhaps describe what happens here. Which yes, is yes. That so how does how he kill there's Sandra? There's a. Um, a, a farm implement, uh, uh, basically a, an old kind of hay or threshing equipment yeah, yeah. there uh, in, in the attic or the dungeon or wherever the hell they are. It, it's one of those things that has uh, prongs or spikes on it, and he just pushes her into it and just stabs her through the chest and she dies. But yes, the shot when... From uh, straight from behind straight when from she's behind, falling when onto she, When she's falling onto those spikes... Uh, she's a little beefier than normal. It doesn't it's seem to like have. They the went out hips. and got Dick Butkus to stand in for it, you know. And it's really a shame because I, I, it sort of doesn't make a lot of sense to me because when you think of all the things that Nashie was able to get his female actresses to do in his films, it didn't really seem like this stunt was particularly yeah. arduous. I don't see why they couldn't have just used Murta Miller and. I don't her. either, but 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 boys, it obviously that it isn't. So it's kind of kind of a shame. It's, it's a very it's a very it's kind of quick dramatic, shot. Yeah, it's it is. A very it's quick true. shot, it, but yeah. it is one of those things where you're like, okay, well that's that could have been better done. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, exactly. But nevertheless, uh, kills her, and I like that. Mm. Uh, as, as I wrote in my notes, yay. Yay. Sandra dies, yay. He goes back out on the town. Well, he's determined yeah. at this point. He's just like, I, he, I think he even says him the fact that I'll win anyway. You know, the werewolf won't. Well, he says myself. the weirdest thing. What does he say? How does he he says, it? he thinks that he'll somehow find his strength in the city. As if being out in groovy swing in London <laughs> is going to somehow keep him from reverting. I, I don't understand. I mean, he's obviously nuts. Yes. I mean, that yeah. statement, he's, you know, yeah. he's, he's got that intense look on his face. Uh, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll find right. my it strength is. in the city. It's like, a very oh, odd phrasing well, thing to say there. It's interesting to know what, what all that. It, it, it felt like just a, 
him giving himself some kind of rational reason to yeah, to go back yeah. out into the city yeah. to go you know to go back mm-hmm. out and experience. Well, he's obviously a little worried about this. He's obviously yeah. you know he's 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 not wanting to. Well, he's bus he's bussing up the molecular compound. That's right. He's busting up all that stuff. <laughs> he's not happy, man. It's time to go back out into the city, and this is where we have a scene. That is both good and bad, in my opinion, and we'll, we'll talk about. I actually about have it. the same opinion. It might not be the same reasons, but I sort of feel the same. We go to he goes to a disco, mm-hmm. uh, and this is one of those groovy '70s mm-hmm. discos. Uh, I have to admit, most of the dancers uh, look just about as uncool as I think mm-hmm. I probably am, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. one of the one of the well, most of them dancing obviously to music they're not hearing. You know, obviously. Well, <laughs> that's 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 not even it. I can, I can give them that. I mean, because a couple of the women dancing look kind of semi-professional like they were yeah. hired because they're dancers and right. they're there to be kind of good eye candy <laughs> on a dance floor yeah but most of the guys there is like really these guys are out on a disco dance floor <laughs> one of them looks like he could play a werewolf he's got enough beard yeah. and facial hair so yeah. quite honestly you can see very little of his face is very strange yeah. the we're in the the old groovy disco there yeah. and he's chatting Hyde is chatting up a woman she goes off to uh, the bathroom saying actually that she needs to go see a man about a dog that's her. Yeah, that's that her, is her exact exit line there. Yeah, which is which I found highly amusing. He begins Hyde begins to feel the change coming on. Which you can tell the werewolf is fine. I know, which in itself is a. <laughs> and he, uh, by the time the woman that he's been chatting up comes back, he's changed back into just Denitsky. Valdemar Danitsky. Yes. Yeah. And he's sitting there, and she doesn't even recognize him. He looks so different. Mm-hmm. And then immediately he starts changing into the werewolf. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I love the strobe effect oh, that they use with the, with the lights and the disco, where it's just uh, still frame shots and strobe effect as he yeah. changes into the werewolf, and then boom, he's the werewolf, and all hell breaks loose because he jumps up snarling and everybody runs away. Right. Well, this is why... I think this scene is good and bad. First of all, I love the seventies grooviness of mm-hmm. setting a scene like this, a werewolf changing yeah. from That's from a, great, a human being into a werewolf idea. in a disco in yeah. groovy seventies London. Yeah. But here's where it falls down miserably. He doesn't fucking do anything in the disco. Yeah, that's that's I thought you were gonna that's kinda of my take on it too. And I even I even think that the the filming of her reaction shots is fantastic. Yeah. I don't think the filming of his changing into the werewolf is quite as effective as it could have been, but the whole idea is is great. I mean, I, it's a brilliant way to show it with the strobe effects. is just terrific, but you're right. It would have been so much more... If he had gone on a rampage with the strobe still this going, need, it would have been a wonderful scene. This needed to be scene. a bloodbath. Yes. We needed a bloodbath on the mm. disco floor. Mm. We needed... That could be a band. I was just going to say an album title or a movie title. You just hit on something there. Bloodbath at the disco floor. On the disco floor. There should have been a bloodbath. He should have ripped into these mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. before they spotted him and, and freaked out and ran away. He should have torn into these people and started yeah. tearing people yeah, they, all over the place. I'm talking a bloody massacre. Yeah. And they missed nothing, an opportunity here. Yeah, missed nothing happens here. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll admit... Um, before going back to this film, the last time I saw this movie was a few years ago, mm-hmm. and my memory had 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 turned the disco cha- the disco sequence that that's how it turned into out. a bloody in massacre. I was misremembering this sequence mm-hmm. ridiculously, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's because that's what you want to see there. What, you yeah, are yeah, so expecting been... some kind of horrendous flesh rending mm-hmm. horror, yeah. and it doesn't happen. Right, because it would have been wonderfully effective with the, it's still using the strobe effect. It, yeah. it could have been a really, really memorable scene and it yeah. still is to a degree, but not what it could have been. It could have been absolutely amazing, but I'll be honest, it's it's uh, it's one of the few things in the film that really I feel let down by yeah, yeah. going back to it, and it's it's it's, it's a shame. But uh, he, he instead of tearing into the people at the disco, 
he creeps back to the uh, to Justine's family estate out in the country, and uh, at this point we are we are privy to seeing Justine. She has returned to the place as well. Goes up to find the hidden gun, digs it out, loads it with the silver bullets, and uh, burns Jekyll's notes mm-hmm. that he's taken as well, which I thought was a nice little touch was, because yeah. Jekyll didn't even didn't even make mention he of didn't that. Tell him to do that but but uh, she good. she burns his notes. Right. Uh, Valdemar enters the attic, of course, in full hombre lobo mm-hmm. status. Although he's growling and he seems to. I was sorry that he was not still wearing the half cape here in this in this part. That well, that's true. He's that not wearing the half cape. That would have oh, been, been amazing. Awesome. That would have been amazing. You're right. I didn't even think of that, but that would have been cool. But uh, he comes into the attic, and uh, although he's all growly and everything, uh, he doesn't seem to have any desire to attack Justine. He still does seem to kind of recognize yeah. her, and his his emotions for her, feelings for her, mm-hmm. stops him. He doesn't he doesn't want to attack her. Well, this brings up a great little bit of a, a little something a little dubious in all of Jekyll's planning. There is it. We see her find the gun. Right. Uh, what she gets it out of a box and has to load the bullets. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, it's it, obviously for this plan to work, uh, the werewolf can't be really hot on your heels at this point. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you have to, the fact that you have yeah, to load the yeah. gun first is uh, a might, might true. Have, you might have you might have wanted to rethink that. But anyway, yeah. yes, you're right though. In this case, the werewolf is not exactly he isn't exactly hot on her heels. He's not no. he's not attacking her, um, and he's not he's not even. He's not even making any move toward her until he actually looks down and sees the gun in her hand, and mm-hmm. then he attacks her. Right. And actually does the standard thing. He digs his fangs into her throat, and rips at her throat, and throws her onto the floor. When he does this, he then kind of just walks away from her as if mm-hmm. he, as if overcome by what he's done, and he mm-hmm. kind of walks away from her. He's actually walking completely away from her with his back to her, mm-hmm. and she... And her neck is bleeding at this point. Picks the gun up off the floor where it's fallen, and uh, shoots our poor werewolf in the back. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, shoots him twice. Uh, she appears to be a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. One of these bullets apparently <laughs> perforated his heart or something. Yeah. Well, actually, they don't. You never really see where the. Well, not not just that, but I don't think they spelled out earlier that you got to like tag him in the heart. He just has to be shot by somebody who loves him. Yeah, it has to be used yeah. someone who loves him with some kind of silver. Mm-hmm. He staggers back toward her and then falls to the floor, obviously dying. There's some great, uh, uh, his expressions when she shoots him at Grandma. He does some really great things through with his eyes through this werewolf makeup, some expressions. Yeah. He, even the way he looks at her after she shoots him is sort of this, I don't know, it's sort of a strange mi- mixture of kind of like surprise and a little bit of hurt and kind of, I don't know, it's, it's sort of There's hard. A, there to, are it's, a lot, it's of, a lot of things emotions. going on there that's neat there. Yeah, he yeah. does a great job with it. A lot of emotions seem to, to cross his face as mm. this happens and he mm. falls to the ground kind of realizing what's happened to him and uh then it then it's it's really neat he's he's laying there she crawls over to his body and as he turns back into Daninsky the mm. the werewolf fades and Daninsky is left there she's laying next to him and actually they hold hands and both of them die right next to each other there on the attic floor mm. roll credits yeah. this film turned out to be almost exactly as satisfying a revisit for me as I thought it would be. I've always thought really highly of this film. Right. I love a good monster mash. Sure. I love it. I love you, you You throw a couple of different monsters into the mix that not necessarily anybody else would have done. 
I like to see what happens. And when it's in the hands of someone who obviously loved monster, loves monster films as mm-hmm. much as Nash did, I think the results are extraordinary. I really do enjoy this film. That's not to say that there weren't some disappointments yeah, going back right, to sure it. The it disco is. scene did let me mm-hmm. down, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. My memory of it was much different. Mm-hmm. That's where the village people should have been. <laughs> And he should have massacred him. That would have been that would have been something we all would have seen. But no, you're right. You're right. The film, yeah, certainly. I mean, you you know, we watch we watch. Obviously, you can begin to 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 pick apart some things that are you know that yeah. that are weaknesses about it. But on the whole, it's it's a. Uh, I, I did. So I just think it's a real blast. You know, it's, oh, it's uh, a really lot of fun. entertaining. And uh, I think also I have to say I think that it may be the most quintessential Nashy film that we've viewed so far of the ones we viewed. You know, we we set these things up that we talk about. The things that he, the recurring themes in his films, the things that continually happen um, that you see often in his films, and and really in a lot of ways, the first films we've done to this, the films we've done to this point, in a lot of ways have had elements that have subverted some of those things that we've said, you know, about things he does with female characters, things he does plot-wise. This film, on the other hand, to me, you know, if if you were going to show somebody, show me one film that, that sums up the classic Paul Nashie film... I think because it has all that sense of tragedy, it has the the kind of the women who are either, you know, pure good or, or well, they're either angels or demons. The demons. women are angels or uh, demons. That whole ending one. there is pure nasty. I mean, that you know, the lovers dying, and you know, she, the werewolf being killed by the person who loves him, who also dies. Just you know, and I have to say, uh, thought about it, the fact that that everybody dies in the film. That's uh, every character. Yeah. The only character I figured out, the only character with any substantial part, peaking part at all, that survives the whole film is the innkeeper. Every other character <laughs> that has any kind of su- su- substance at all. Oh my He's god! Killed. You're so right. it's, it's the typical Nashi bloodbath, you know. Um, oh my god! You are absolutely right. But yeah. also his way of taking uh, these things that he loves, these classic things, and doing uh, a nice twist on it, bringing something fresh to it uh, with what he does with the yeah. what you expect of the monster mash that doesn't happen really in the classic monster mash sense. You know, the the monster fight we don't get. Oh, you can't because the monster is in all exactly. in one person. Which, but that's not Hyde yeah. and the were- werewolf are, right. are the same person. I mean, there there there, are lo- there have been lots of conversations had over. One of the best examples is uh, Doctor Jekyll, Sister Hyde, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Hammer film, right. where it's a, a gender flip thing. Right. And there, uh, the, the complaint about the film, although it's a very good film and I like it as well, is that there really can't be a particularly standard, satisfying conclusion because the two people who are at odds are in the same body. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to mm-hmm. have a kind of standard monster movie ending. Mm-hmm. The same is true here. These yeah. two characters who are essentially at odds, the mm-hmm. evil Hyde and the sympathetic Daninsky, they're the same person. Yeah. And so, But that's great if you were to see that. But if you see that title, though, if you just see that title blank, Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, you know, you're led to think... Dr. Jekyll's going to turn into Mr. Hyde and, and you're f- going to get a fight. Yeah. And maybe as a kid you might have been disappointed if you watched it and didn't get that. I think it's but I love what he does with it because you know, it does this total twist. The fight is inside them, the fight goes on, yeah. it's an inner fight, and it's uh and I think it's uh, it's totally keeps you guessing though. You know, you really in this movie is not I, I love the way it is it's uh, I think maybe about the only thing you can sort of see coming is is you always suspect that the werewolf is going to end up being killed by the woman who loves him. That's and that doesn't always happen. It's, set up, normally, it's set up in the first scene of the movie. But as I far mean, as everything else, I mean, I, what they do with the characters, who uh, I, I think it's it's it keeps you guessing very well. The movie. I think it's a very unpredictable film. I, I really do like this film. I I, I really do enjoy it. Um, like I say, there there are a few things in it that I that uh, that bug me. But yeah. other than that, I mean, honestly, I really do enjoy the hell out of this film. We've talked about the the, the fact that we have the, we have the perfect demonstration of the female characters in a Nashi mm-hmm. script in this thing. 
Sandra, the evil mad scientist seeking a way to power, mm-hmm. embittered and vicious. Uh, she's turned even madder by being spurned in love. And Justine is, let's 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 say it outright. She's kind of a weak woman, so in love with Valdemar that mm-hmm. uh, she's blinded the dangers around her. Or is she kind of slightly stupid? I mean, she does even mention to Henry at one point that she knows that Sandra hates her. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, how can she not? I mean, is she yeah. so worked up about the? I mean, okay, yeah, she's in a very stressful situation, but yeah. she goes out of her way to talk to Henry about the fact that she knows this woman hates her guts. Yeah. Well, and she's in and and in the classic Nashi heroine form, is she's pretty much helpless until there's nobody left, and you know, until yeah. it's basically down to her. Then she. Pretty much can take care of herself. She does some, like you said, she burns Jekyll's, I mean, notes. I mean, she she gets rid of the serum. She pretty much handles everything once it's down to her and there's nobody. Otherwise, until that point, she's pretty much cowering and helpless. One of the problems I had with the film is that, in all honesty, the Daninsky character really doesn't get, in my opinion, enough time to register as a full-blooded character. In norm, normally in one of these films, in a Daninsky film, he would be the one who relates his own backstory to the audience point, yeah. and the heroine. In this film, he introduces the old woman character and splits that that scene off to her. Mm-hmm. In other words, the scene that would have produced the standard uh, sequence of him relating this terrible, tragic mm-hmm. tale to the woman who then becomes sympathetic toward him and falls in love with him... Right isn't there by putting the old woman character in the film which I I like the old woman character in the film I like having her in there yeah doing what she does but it removes a kind of necessary scene to give us that connection between those two characters that yeah. eventually we have to buy the love story of I wonder if he's trying to if there was an attempt to try and preserve the mystery about what his character really was as far as whether he's good or bad or by the fact that the first it's quite a while before he even speaks we just see him in these weird scenes where he's I mean we see him save Justine but then we see you know the whole scene where she's kind of chased by him in the castle and we're not sure I don't know I didn't didn't get that sense I didn't get the sense that we're supposed to feel like we're not sure of his Maybe we are. Maybe that was the idea, but I didn't get that sense. Uh, maybe it's because I've just seen two different. Well, many I say by this point, we're so used to seeing. Yeah. Uh, we always know that Daninsky's going to be the the sympathetic character. The sympathetic character, yeah. I think that he's most to me the character. I agree with you that the character's not real. We don't get a whole lot from the Daninsky character. I think he's mostly interesting in the way that he's such a contrast to Mister Hyde. I think it's a great yeah. Nashi, just a great example of his range because I think that that. He's he when he's playing he's so into Daninsky now he knows that character so well that that he just he constantly has that Lon Chaney Jr. obviously and what Lon Chaney Jr. had is that just ability to convey vulnerability and and just a weight there is a sympathy just through his eyes and the way he portrays the Daninsky character then to the way then he's completely opposite in the spectrum with it with when he's Hyde yeah. The things he does with his eyes, you know, the the, the being well, just the pure evil as opposed to the the completely sad sack kind of Daninsky character. I think it's a nice example of his range. I agree with you, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I will say that it's obvious that Nashi is having a damn ball playing high. <laughs> yes, the the wide eyed, monstrous, sadistic, drooling, yeah. murdering bastard. He's having right. a hell of a time playing this character. It's mm-hmm. jo- it's it, he's having the time of his life. He, this is something he can really sink his teeth into. This is a completely unsympathetic son of a bitch, and he yeah. has a hell of a time playing him. But uh, to, to move on to another question I have, one that I'd like to ask you, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you about the film, and they're kind of the standard questions that I end up asking sure. you. I'm assuming you feel the story flowed pretty well. 
given the, mm-hmm. the the couple of problems that we like right. the, the travelogue footage in, sure. in, in yeah. the midsection that didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. I thought it flowed very well, even though I felt the last third got a little bit clumsy with mm-hmm. the the kind of fumbling of the disco scene. But. Yeah, well, and and I think we one of the common things we find with the films we sort of talk about that rush to the end. You know, things do tend to become a little clumsy towards the end. Some it seems like most of these many of these films tend to have something a little unsatisfying about the third act that just feels because it's some things could stand to be emphasized a little more than aren't, you know, or that could. I felt that uh, with the the disco scene and with the the him assaulting the guy on the riverside, the drunk at the riverside, it almost felt like the film was pulling its punches just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, right. And I don't know. Uh, we, we we don't know because we don't have a lot of information about how what, how the production went and how, right. how you know how much money they had or time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'll always feel like the disco scene is a missed opportunity, and I'm wondering if they did mean to go a little further in that scene, yeah. or if they were going to play around the the scene by the riverside with the drunk. Kind of feels like a throwback to sequences in older mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde films. Well, just like the the thing where Hyde. Hyde, of course, beats the kid with his cane because, right. it, you know, the classic scene where you're first introduced to Hyde in the original novel. The original, you know, that yeah. kind of scene there. But I, where I, he's I, not always just necessarily murderous, he's sometimes just, but he's always mean. He's always vindictive or he's always just... True. How would you, for this one, how would you rate the direction? We're talking about Leon Klimovsky. Um I thought mostly very solid. I think I, I think it's really, I, I, I really like the directing in this film. I like the way he uses visual cues to re- reference other things, the use of the wolf's head, the use of the, uh, we didn't mention this, I think, in our synopsis, but the, the kind of omen of the, where the window comes up when they're talking about the vampires and they're talking about Transylvania and the trip they're about to take and the window blows open and knocks off the what's obviously like a, Focuses oh. on the statue. I think it's supposed. To, it's either it's either a, a, a statue sort of, of a, pan, a pan, or a devil, or something. Yeah. But it's some sort of horned head that you know is kind of and the visual, obviously, reference to what's going to come. I think that the film. I, I, I like the flow of the story. I think it rolls really well. I like the direction of the film. Mm-hmm. I love the the fact that he was willing to use a very mobile camera in some yeah. scenes that could have been very static. I mean, he's moving the camera mm-hmm. around beds, around desks, mm-hmm. for for pretty long single take shots. Yeah. That uh, really add to add to the feel of the film. It feels very cinematic. There's not a lot of choppy editing, and it feels really nice. I will say that I still do think that the film needed a few more scenes between Daninsky and Justine to mm-hmm. kind of express their feelings for each other and to give us a, a view inside that relationship, so that it doesn't seem so quick. Yeah. For her to you know leap into bed with Valdemar, no matter how attractive <laughs> that man may be. <laughs> Also, I think that if we'd had a couple of more scenes like that, like I say, it would have made the ending a bit more poignant as well with the two of them dying yeah. together. Yeah, see that. I think that you know this film would have been interesting to see if Nashi had directed it, what he would have done with it. I think Klamowski, obviously being the more, in general, uh, being the more uh, accomplished director at that point, I think probably in overall does a great job. I think he does a great job with the film. Yeah. But just what we we know about the fact that, that Nashi had more of a sense of, of horror directing horror or what, or what makes a great horror story than most of the directors that he worked with it makes me wonder if that's the reason why certain scenes like we talk about like would I miss the opportunity with the disco scene uh, could have yeah. maybe in the hands of Nash he might have been a little more visceral um, I think the were- portrayal of the werewolf is, is kind of a mixed bag I think that what's great there is great I think it is great things we've talked about with his expressions through the makeup the close ups in the face yeah. Uh, sometimes the body language is great too sometimes I think the body language is a little bit not I think almost feel that um, there's times when he's almost walking a little too much like a normal person like there's not enough of the 
the beast in the way he moves. I, I Did you agree. notice that? And yeah, I agree. And, and there, are a couple how, of, there are a couple yeah. of different points. I felt exactly what you're Especially talking about. Especially compared you know. to what we've seen in like Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Well, he's not crouching. Right. He's, he's just, not crouching like a beast. In, in Night of the Howling Beast, he, he really was almost all, almost crouching down constantly. Yeah. And, and you had this feeling of this, of this mm. thing almost constantly yeah. down near the yeah. ground and... and, and Waiting to pounce on something, and here he's walking around a bit too much like a two-legged creature all the time. Well, and the fact that it doesn't help, or the fact that in this film, particularly, the fact that it's set in modern times, and so much of the time he's dressed in modern clothes, and sometimes when he's just walking like that, I think it would have been more effective if he had been a little more beastial in his movements. And it makes me wonder if that was Klamowski for whatever reason dialing him back a little bit, because we know how seriously Nashi takes the werewolf character and how much yeah. thought he puts into his portrayal. I wonder if that was some sort of a little bit of a compromise. Between the two, that it might Could've be Klimovsky's direction might have had, might have wanted him to not be to, to to move that way. But that was one thing I felt. I thought I thought Nash's performance in the film is 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 great for the most part. But I just thought that some of his portrayals as the werewolf, some of his movements was was a little uh, distracting. You know, not quite convincing. Well, uh, you you've reminded me. Uh, we do have the man's own words here. Yes, we have is- from the uh, the issue of videos from. Uh, the early 90s, where we have uh, Nashi commenting on pretty much all of his own films. Uh, what he has to say here is uh, about Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman. Uh, this picture had the captivating novelty of a triple personality. It could have been quite good, but the short-sightedness of Leon Klamowski made for some careless moments. The characterization of Mr. Hyde was quite well achieved, really sardonic and sarcastic, terribly perverse but amusing. The film established a kind of liberation from the bestial, unthinking evil of the werewolf only to unleash the consciously evil Mr. Hyde. It's a pirouette within the world of these multiple personalities. I think it's an interesting film, above all, for the recreation so unique of Mr. Hyde. The anachronism of him going about modern-day Soho in his cape and top hat appealed to me. Had he been dressed in any normal, as any normal city dweller, I don't think the character would have been as effective. In conclusion, I believe I have made a strange contribution to the fantastic myths mixing something so different, yet at the same time so similar as Lycanthropy and the story of Jekyll and Hyde. That's a great way to say I mean, that makes total sense. He, you know, it shows how much thought and how you know, he put into this and, and, and how True. creative this story was. And I think it makes sense because in most... Most you look at the classic monster icons and you know and, and iconic figures, and, and each one of them usually is said to represent a different thing. That's why it's interesting to see Dracula fight the Wolfman or, or fight Frankenstein's monster or something. I think in this case, you know, Mr. Hyde and the werewolf almost represent very much the same thing, which is that inner beast. Uh, different, two different types of beasts, as he says right there. Yes. Hyde, conscious evil. The werewolf, more like just pure brutal nature, but they both represent the inner darkness inside us, and so I think the idea of them both just squaring off in some fisticuffs didn't interest him in the sense, uh, as the sense of a more psychological Approach did so. I think that's and, and I and I think that was the I think that was the smarter way, regardless yeah, regardless so. of anything else. I mean, yeah, I I had never thought until you mentioned the idea of a kid coming across this on television mm-hmm. in the mid late seventies and going, "Ooh, I'm going to see Mister Hyde and a Duke Wolfman." Duke it out with the That's what you would want to see. Yeah. That would never even occur to me because I didn't I didn't come to this film until sure, I was an adult, of right. course. Yeah. Obviously, he had a lot more on his mind than that mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. His idea was to combine these two monsters and to see what comes out the other side. I do have one other mm-hmm. thing I'd like to mention, which is mm-hmm. that uh, after this movie and uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb and a few other Nashy films that I've seen, I, 
I get the feeling now that there are uh, just roving bands of vicious bandits waiting to kill and rape unsuspecting travelers all over Europe. <laughs> doesn't seem to matter where. France, mm-hmm. Spain, mm-hmm. Transylvania. They're just out there waiting. Yeah, it's that it's that uh, it's that conflict between new and old world that we see, and, and that's another <laughs> classic uh, Nashi. Uh, well, and trope. that's true. That's something we probably need to delve into at a different time on a different film. But that mm. it that is something that he addresses more than mm. once in his movies. Mm. And I think that it, sometimes he was addressing it unconsciously at points, yeah, and then exactly. after a while, I think he did address it consciously. But that's yeah. that's something we can your, get your into. Your basic point time. is well taken, though, is that uh, uh, you know. Uh, Simple village folk are not normally are not portrayed real favorably in Nashi films. They're normally no. stupid and or murderous. <laughs> that's uh, pretty much the yeah stupid, yeah. superstitious, and stupid, murderous. Yeah, that's stupid, superstitious, what, and murderous. That's pretty much what. But you the get. thing is, in these stories, they have good reason to be right. superstitious. Right. And then he seems to have just as much contempt for uh, the the swinging modern people because he loves to unleash the old world on their asses. You know. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So, and and that and, and that's like why, said, we can, we can like I say, that is exactly why I'm glad. That's why I wanted to see the werewolf rip it into that disco because right. nothing more clearly represented swinging London than yeah. a full swing disco yeah. with all those lights and mm. all those people and it's a werewolf like, here's tearing what I into think that. Of your summer of love, you know. Yeah, exactly. I, God, I would, it's just it's so ripe for for mm. visual, amazing. Uh, I don't need to stop. So, where do you where does this one fit for you? Top third, middle third, bottom third of uh, El Hombre Lobos. I feel I would say definitely top third, and in fact, of the films we've done so far, I, I would actually probably say this is my second. This is probably my favorite, next to second only to Horror Rises from the Tomb. I know, I, I know I you have your irrational mummy love that we have to do. Hey, my love for mummies and, is not irrational, but <laughs> I will say this: I, I think I agree with you. I would go so far the films we've done. Uh, mm. I think Horror Rises is the best. This would be the second one, and then I would go Vengeance of the Mummy. Uh, I think that mm. I think that uh, it's a fantastic movie. Not without its flaws, but then all of Nashi's mm. films have flaws. Oh, of course, yeah. And so far, and so far as I say, this one to me again of these films we've done so far, I think this one is the template for 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 Nashi. You know, the classic Nash, the pure Nashi film. You know, I think it's got all the elements there. It is absolutely fantastic, and I love it dearly. Me too. Uh, I'm going to go listen to some Village People, but first let's uh, <laughs> first let's uh, tell everybody what that we got coming up for. Well, that's where I was going. That's where I was going. I think next we're going to jump ahead about four years. We're going to do something interesting. We're going to uh, watch the first movie that uh, Nashi not only scripted, but directed. We're going to jump forward to 1976, and we're going to watch Inquisition. Which I've never seen. I'm very excited about seeing. I have seen. I've got. I've had a bootleg of it for years. I think mm-hmm. it's a really good film. My memories of it are, are, are very, very positive. I think you're going to like this. Inquisition is next. Definitely a different flavor of horror from Mr. Nashi. And uh, something I think you're really going to enjoy. Yeah, looking forward to it. And, right. uh, and and by the way, thank you everybody who's emailed us uh, with your feedback and comments. We very much appreciate them. and continue to appreciate the support and the people listening. And uh, if you, you want to send us a message, uh, we are at uh, nashicast at gmail.com. Please feel free to send us a message. Uh, we reply to every message we get, and uh, we're we're really glad to hear from you guys. Uh, get Actually, we're getting a lot of very interesting feedback. I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. glad. So uh, please thanks, keep thanks those letters to coming. for the shout out too. Oh yeah, they're very very much so. Glad to have gotten a mention in Rumorg magazine. Uh, love the magazine and love the fact that we got mentioned it. It's kind of mind boggling in a yes, way. Yes, it is. So uh, thanks everybody once again. Um, this is the end of uh, Nashicast number six. Meet us here again in about four weeks mm. for Nashicast number seven. And uh, say it. I know you want to say it. It's a. Oh, it's a bloody pit of rod production. Yes. I forgot. 
I love saying that. A bloody pit of rod production. It's... <laughs> to coin a term. Yeah, look out, folks. You don't know what's coming next. But we'll uh, we'll be back here in a few weeks for uh, the next episode where we talk about Inquisition. Until then, uh, have fun, be good to everybody, and don't turn into a werewolf. This is Rod Barnett. This is Troy Gwynn. And we're saying bye-bye. Thank you.